down to the next side. We will survive. And it's not too good in this. Swimming through the waters of Babylon like a rebel fish. Jogalist, specialist, predatory and survivalist. Spirit heaven, fight from his lips. Burn a slave driver. Listeners, to time for an awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge, but we as a people will turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom to all thy getting it and understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to get involved in the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live audio at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage and catch the live stream. At that location, you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there also. We're streaming at abibitumi.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com. They stream from Ghana. Or you can download the TuneIn Radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn Radio is a free radio app. In that tune-in search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening there, you'll see the icon, and you can stream the program live, even into your car if you had a Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's Time for an Awakening radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, you can type in Time for an Awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening Radio Program. Fan page on Facebook and Time for an Awakening Media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on Time for an Awakening Media. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, or share with your friends. Also check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace in our partnership with the bb 2 Me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Uh, various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.07 here on this Sunday edition. Sunday, December the 3rd edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening in conversation, activist, organizer, and secretary general of the International Committee of the Pan-Africanist Federalist Movement, Dr. Jumei Fay, is with us in conversation this evening. Uh, Dr. Jumei came back from a September uh, tour of Central Africa, and we're going to talk about some of the things accomplished during the tour leading up to the first Pan-African and Federalist Congress. Uh, 
We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and and our enemies. Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not where you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people 
where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening at 713 here in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Arch Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, yes, sir, Brother Ali. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. I'm looking um, for this, um, I'm going to call it report, and, you know, from Brother Jamey, who went through Central Africa. It's, you know, because we haven't been getting, you know, with this, the, I'm going to call it the distraction that's been going over, going on in the other, in the Middle Eastern region. Uh, it has taken the news of what was going on amongst the Francophone countries, uh, off the map and, and definitely you hear little whispers of what's, you know, now it's moved to the, the people I hear here are at least acknowledging. And again, I say whispers of what's going on in the Congo in relationship to the children, the mining and the extraction of the minerals. So, um, I, I hope we can be able to, you know, get, get some insight of what was the political thinkers around Central Africa thinking about as they see these um, activities unfold. So I'm looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, uh, you know, the last time we talked to uh, Dr. May was, uh, it was a, a couple of months, maybe uh, some months ago, when uh, <clears throat> just before the uh, the Black Power Conference down in Jackson. And right. uh, uh, Dr. Jermaine intended to come, but he couldn't because of the uh, the uh, the uh, Central African tour that uh, the business had to be uh, uh, taken care of. But uh, I'm glad that he's with us tonight so we can discuss some of the things that are not discussed uh, on, in, in a lot of circles of black media. But uh, we'll kind of exchange them here in the marketplace of ideas and get our people involved and, and uh, inform our people to what's going on on the continent and how it directly relates to what our people hear and what we need to do and should be about doing. Our guest this evening in conversation, activist organizer and secretary general of the International Committee of the Pan-African and Federalist Movement, Dr. Jumei Faye is with us this evening. Dr. Jumei, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm fine. Greetings with um, Brother Elliot. Uh, greetings, Brother Richard. I listened to your program uh, last uh, last Sunday with Sister Cynthia, yeah. a, lo- a lot of fire, you know, a lot of fire <laughs> came out of it. <laughs> oh, and, uh, and I enjoyed listening to both of you and Richard, you know, and I was very, very, very excited. But uh, good evening to your uh, listeners and to both of you. I hope that uh, you and family are enjoying peace, good health. And hope for a better tomorrow. Uh, I am delighted to be here. It's always a pleasure uh, being with uh, with the two of you, and uh, also you know with the people who tune in, uh, so that we can uh, have have a conversation. 
really on uh, on, on 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 the reality of Africa and uh, what exactly we on this side you know uh, could do uh, in fact to uh, build on uh, the African uh, condition when I say African condition I mean uh, on the continent and in the diaspora the African condition future uh, for a better future Dr. May uh, let's first talk about uh, uh, some of the countries visited in the um, the uh, the formation or the 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 uh, the um, September yes uh, yeah. I know it was at least five countries in Central Africa. Uh, talk about the country. For, well, first, uh, name some of the countries that uh, was involved. I know the Congo was one of the uh, places where you went. Absolutely. My trip started really in the Ivory Coast. Okay. I had a, an eight-hour layover in Abidjan. So I was able to ground with my brothers and sisters there, uh, really using the uh, Brother Walter Rodney's expression. Uh, and I was also able to... You know, have a dialogue with them. They were just coming out of elections. And, uh, you know, uh, the the majority of the people who were in the public were from the party of, uh, you know, uh, Laurent Gbagbo, you know, and uh, I felt the bruise of losing elections, you know, that they expressed there. But I tried to explain to them that whether it is uh, Laurent Gbagbo in power or Alassane Ouattara, it's all about, you know, taking care of and managing the mess left behind by Imperium. So even if your guy won, had won, it won't make a big difference anyway, at least a systemic difference for African people. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I was in Cameroon. You know, in Cameroon, uh, I was able to really have very, very uh, good exchanges. I was invited in four universities. I mean, I had... Um, Presentation in three different universities. Four presentation in three different universities. One was on uh, the uh, you know Pan Africanism in the 21st century and the African Renaissance. Uh, the other one was the obstacles to African development. You know, and of course neocolonialism was where I was pointing to. And then uh, and I had uh, numerous radio and television present uh, presence meeting with some officials also uh, in the, who were very, very excited about the project of African unity. And then from there, I flew to Chad, where I was, you know, really welcomed uh, by the members of the movement, as well as by the Chadian authorities. The Minister of Foreign Affairs was not there, uh, whom I was supposed to meet, but uh, he was in New York. So, but the General Secretary of the Ministry, uh, was the one that I spent really about an hour discussing. And, you know, uh, we had a very good conversation. Uh, and he frankly told me that uh, what he had been hearing about Pan-Africanism is very different from what I'm saying. Because for him, uh, he's used to hearing the leftist infantilist Pan-Africanist who don't understand really what Pan-Africanism is about but are focused on, like, hitting on their brothers and sisters instead of hitting on imperialism, you know, which is the real problem. So I had a long discussion with him, and it was a very nice discussion, and he, you know, and then on the national uh, television, I was on on the main news in the national television, and 
and then uh, the youth, you know, the political parties, trade unions, you know, same thing in Cameroon uh, uh, also. I had really good interactions with them. And then from Chad, I flew to the Republic of Congo, you know, uh, the sister of the Democratic Republic of Congo, I mean, the younger sister, the little sister. Uh, and I met also with, I was in a radio, uh, on a television show. I met with youth. I met with, you know, uh, the, the representative of the Minister of Integration there. And we had good conversations, you know, and I met with my big brother, uh, uh, Teofil Obenga, one of the foremost uh, Egyptologues uh, today in alive, uh, who was a close collaborator of Sheikh Job. And then uh, uh, from there, I went to uh, to the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, it was uh, the same thing. I met with the Minister of Integration, actually, the minister in charge of African unification. And the meeting was supposed to be like 30 minutes, but it lasted three hours, you know. So interested he was. And he actually was telling me, I hope that you're not leaving soon. Because unfortunately, I had only 24 hours to spend there because of transportation in Africa. But he said that he really would like to organize a, a workshop with the members of his ministry and academics in the country and here he is, you know, activists so that they can understand what really African unity is about. You know, because the way that you're putting it is so advantageous to us. You know, anyone who really will hear this will not have a qualm about, you know, and uh, and then I told him that, you know, yeah, let's try to do something next May. And then after that, I went on national television on a primetime show uh, for about 30 minutes, really. Really, really good intervention. Uh, I mean, good questions, I meant, from the journalists. I hope that I responded. But it looks like, from what people who were listening said, it looked like I responded well. So, uh, But both in Cameroon... I mean, overall, my brothers and those who are listening, I come to realize, at least I was reminded, I was reminded how, uh, how do I put this, how uh, really regrettable, how, uh, I, wanna, I don't want to use the word unfortunate, how incoherent what the the level of wealth in the hands of people, the distance between the how much wealth people have in their hands and how many how much resources they are working on every single day. It's immense resources. Cameroon, you know, Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo, Chad, I mean like, you know, it just you you see things where people could make millions of dollars, you know, but yet people are like really, you know, under poverty level. Most of them are under the poverty level, and I it really make me think, you know, a lot. It made me realize, really, how important it would be for us to have a government that could actually make credit accessible to the people. Because I could see the skills, the, the, the break between the amount of resources that they have and the level of poverty they're suffering in. It's only 
the, 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 the bridge that they need is to have access to credit in order to be able, because everyone was trying to do something. Entrepreneurial mind, everyone, you know, selling kolana, selling uh, yam, selling, uh, selling a bunch of things. The young people, no one is staying home. They just, everyone is trying to do something. But, you know, the, 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 the amount of money that they're doing it with, it's kind of like peanuts. It kind of like cannot even keep you. It, it cannot even keep you on a survival mode in the end, which is kind of like a lot of wasted resources. And uh, I, 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 it, I came out of that trip really thinking that, you know, uh, Africa really better get its thing together because, and I it also re- realized the potential we have the potential a united African state will have. People talk about growth in China in the 1990s, 19, 2000s and stuff, double-digit growth. But that will be nothing compared to the kind of growth that will happen if we unite these African states. And, you know, it's, it just, it kind of made me think also uh, how many people are Young Africans are, are, are employed here in in the U.S., you know, and to see how their know-how, their skills, college degrees, and all that will be needed in order to really, you know, uh, transform these resources in wealth. I'm telling just how how kind of like it would be uh, impossible to have you know uh, unemployment in the African community here if there is uh, only a federal government in Africa that could make credit accessible to entrepreneurs, you know, because here we Africans have an advantage in a way that we're not using yet, but we have the advantage of being everywhere, knowing everything, you know. and But the problem that we have is that we don't have the capital, really the capital, I'm talking about, we have, there are a few, you know, who have the capital. But if you look at the majority of who don't have the capital, you know, and the protection of our capital in order for prosperity to be able to, to come by the transformation of the immense resources we have on the continent of Africa and the immense know-how that Africans on the continent and the diaspora have. Dr. Jumay, let me let me uh, ask this question, and I'm gonna pass it over to uh, to Richard. But first, I want to just for uh, our listening audience' sake, uh, I'm gonna read over a couple of the countries that you said you visited. You went first, went to the Cameroon. You said first, ca- yes. Uh, I mean, Ivory Coast and then Cameroon. Okay. Uh, well, I'm I'm, a, I'm a, just for the sake of of uh, time, I'm gonna I'm start with Cameroon. According to uh, published reports, statistics, the Cameroon as a country has over 22 million residents. Right, yes. The average age of those 22 million residents is 18.5 years old. Absolutely. You said you went to the Congo. According mm-hmm. to the same published reports, they have over 96 million residents. Mm-hmm. The average mm-hmm. age... 16.7 years old 
Chad, mm-hmm. over 17 million residents. Absolutely. The average age is 16.1 years old. Burkina Absolutely. Faso, over 22 million residents. The average age is 17.9. The reason I'm saying this is because, and, 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 and another difference also before I ask the question, is your response from brothers and sisters there on the continent, that gives me a little more clarity on the state of our people here when you're dealing with neocolonial and colonialism. Because you would never be able to go to some of the major cities here that is predominantly black and get an audience from the elected officials. They would back away from you, even if they knew about Pan-Africanism. They don't Mm want to offend their white, and I'll use the term overseers. So you Mm -hmm. you would not get this type of reception. But I noticed they're on the continent. You got reception from uh, governmental officials. You had access to universities where you spoke to the, the, uh, the students. You had access to media. It was on television there. Those things would not happen here in a colonialized society where black people are colonialized, not neocolonial, where we're colonized. So what I want to ask you before I pass to Richard is the state of the Pan-Africanist movement in the countries that you visited so far, because I know you've been doing work in other places, but based on the reception and you went to the universities and the interests, give me your gauge on the movement so far in those countries that you you, uh, visited. Uh, First of all, allow me, uh, Brother Elliot, to just make a slight differentiation here. Okay. Because there has been a lot of confusion, you know. There are three movements that are mixed into the language of Pan-Africanism. Okay? Mm-hmm. The first one is Pan-Africanism itself, which is indeed a revolutionary ideology for the restoration of the sovereignty of black people. Mm-hmm. That's what Pan-Africanism is. Mm-hmm. Anyone who tells you anything else is nonsense. Pan-Africanism has been an ideology. Look at it from its history. Mm-hmm. From the people from whom full, entire, zero, they almost know zero, so they cannot even go to pee-pee. They cannot even go to, to drink. They cannot even marry someone that they want. Their whole sovereignty was, and then their identity was taken away from them. And the fight was for the restoration of some, at least bits and pieces of their sovereignty. The freedom to do what, you know, your sovereignty as an individual. You know? And then it went into colonialism, then then in the, 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 the anti-apartheid, then the civil rights movements and all of that. So, Pan-Africanism is a revolutionary idea drawn from the fact that the sovereignty of black people, either from on slavery, in the form of slavery, either in the form of colonialism or apartheid, was taken away from them. Okay? There is another movement also, which is African unionism. 
African unionism, you know, is not only for black people, but it's for Africans on the continent as well as Africans in the diaspora. Marcus Garvey is the father of African unionism. When I say unionism, is unionism for the restoration of our sovereignty. I'm not talking about unionism for, you know, for, for adaptation to neocolonialism, adaptation to slavery or anything like that. But if you look at the language of Marcus Garvey, the call for unity, unity it was for the restoration of our sovereignty in forming the empire on which the sun never set. Marcus Garvey is the father of that. But there is what also the continentalist, African continentalist movement, which you have people like Nasser who were big on African continentalism. We share the continent. We have, we share common interests because we share the continent. Even though, for example, Nasser, you cannot, well, he could sympathize with Pan-Africanism, just like John Brown sympathized with Pan-Africanism, mm. you know, but Nasser cannot be, same thing than Gaddafi. People, I hear people calling Gaddafi Pan-African because they, they are ill-informed about what Pan-Africanism is. Okay. But he could sympathize. Yeah, we have had... You know, uh, there are organizations which have a Pan-Africanist goal, which is the NAACP, for example. Even though you have had many sympathizers in it, but you see, an organization defined by its goal. If the goal is part of the restoration of the sovereignty of black people, then it is a Pan-African organization by, 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 by definition. If you want to, want to call it like that, you know. So you have these three movements that you we cannot we have been confused that need to be separated. Okay. Now, if you go to Africa, African unionism is on a high tide. African unionism, you know, which people call Pan-Africanism, without really understanding the difference, you know. Because if you talk to them about African, some of them you talk about African Americans or African Jamaicans, and they don't see them part of it. For example, a case, really a clear case of people who are for African unionism without being Pan-African, is the African Union. When Haiti wanted to become a member of the African Union, they refused. Mm-hmm. So there cannot be a Pan-African organization. It's an African unionist continentalist organization, mm. which is different, okay? So there is a high interest, particularly among the youth, and I'm going to come back to that. Those numbers are, you could actually, you could extrapolate those numbers, my brother, okay. to all the African countries, okay. all of them. You don't need to go any further. They are it maybe 5 10%, not even 5% difference or two, you know, but they are all about the same percentage that you can see in terms of the ratio of the youth uh, to the population. Okay? So, Pan-Africanism uh, uh, perceived, uh, like African Unionism uh, called uh, Pan-Africanism is very, very high in the interest of the young people on the continent. The youth, particularly. You know? Uh, now, uh, we could come back on this, but you see, and we'll come back to this on, on, on the, the, we'll talk about the coup d'etat, this high level of youthfulness of the population in Africa is certainly what is causing many of its problems 
because that high level of youth cannot cannot be accommodated by neocolonialism. Mm-hmm. It cannot be accommodated by neocolonialism. Richard, yeah, uh, and let's let's continue on that, and and I uh, and I appreciate you um, sifting that out, if for nobody else, for me, the clarity of the the point of the core driving force, the driving idea of Pan Africanism, is the one of the you know which I would say core and, and historically is the restoration of sovereignty of African people. I think black, that, people. Uh, black but, people, black people. If you want to call them Africans of the blood. Yes. No, I think that that's like critical to me. Yes, it's really important for people because Africans, you have Africans of the blood and Africans of the soil, like Ali Mazuri says. Mm-hmm. Okay? If you are a resident of the continent, whether you are white or Arab or whatever, you know, you are an African of the soil. You call yourself, and if an African of the soil in South Africa or Morocco sees you in Italy or Siberia, they tend to come towards you, you know? Because there is this tendency, oh, you're African, that is continentalism that is pulling them towards you, but it's not an Africanism. Right, right, you know? right. So, 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 and and well, my initial question, because I'm always looking for, as you went around, like the leadership for the that that has that 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 core Pan African view, especially amongst young people, young people in the talks that you were at the different countries. Do you, you know, are people, are there people, are there groups that are clear of these distinctions? I guess I'll start there. Of these distinctions of Pan-Africanism. Do you see that there's a clarity um, in the countries that you went through? My answer is no, even here in America. Right. Most academics that I speak to in America have no clarity as to what is the difference between Pan-Africanism, African continentalism, and African Unionism. Right. They all lumped everything together. Even some, some Pan-Africanists pretend that socialism is part of our Pan-Africanism, mm. which is a crazy idea. A nationalist idea is not a class idea. It's a people's idea. Anyone who fits the bill of being black, whether you are a Maori or a, or, 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 or a Dalit, you know, the lack of respect that you have, you know, the insecurity in which you live because of the absence of Africa in the world geopolitical map. Pan-Africanism is yours. It has nothing to do with class. Mm. It has to do with nationality, the restoration of the sovereignty of black people, restoration of sovereignty and dignity and security. Right. Let me add those two. Dignity mm-hmm. and security. You know, mm-hmm. why in here in America are you saying that when your child is going, if the police arrest you, if, if you put your hand where they can see them? Why police brutality? Do you think that if there was a united African state that could have a veto power in the United Nations where the U.S. cannot pass any kind of resolution Unless the issue of, of, of black uh, police brutality here is solved, you think that there will be, you know, those kind of things? In 10 years, 20 years, that will disappear. Why are people eating with chopsticks now? You know, everyone wants to be Chinese, you know? 
All <laughs> one want to speak Mandarin. <laughs> like 50 years ago, Malcolm X said, they used to say, your chance is not the worthless chance of a Chinaman. You know? So it's, it's about, you know, it's, many people don't understand. But see, Pan-Africanism, you know, is, it does need African unionism. It does need African unionism because African unionism will bring, indeed create the sovereign power that could help repair our dignity, ensure our security wherever we are in the universe, you know, and create opportunities for us. Right. You know, a united Africa is the only one that could do that. And I tell my brothers and sisters here, my brothers, okay, you in America, many African-Americans don't realize you are in a country where you could have, you have more opportunities than most black people here in America. Whether, you know, uh, 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 someone here has more opportunity than someone in the Democratic Republic of Congo or Senegal. This is why we're coming here, okay? But what you don't have is your full dignity and your security. And it's not the United States of America that could give you that. Only a United African state could give you that kind of security and restore your dignity. Where people could look at you, wow, I want to be friend with you. I want to do business with you. I want to do this with you. Because they're looking for a piece of the cake. And if I may, um, because uh, something struck me as you said you were speaking to, I think I was in the Cameroon, so you were speaking to students. And as you're just um, presenting more clarity, I was wondering after Elliot raised about the youthful age of the um, children or the people, young people in different African countries, are the students uh, are the students at least um, gravitating to these three definitions? The ones that, as you expressed them or was able to express, are the students in, um, becoming clear? And did you get some? recognition of understanding that as they were um, engaging you around um, Pan-Africanism? There is a lot of excitement. A lot of them really appreciated the clarity, the clarification. And I can tell you that the overwhelming majority are for African unionism and Pan-Africanism when you explain it to them. Continentalism, you know, is half-half you know, halfway, you know. But they are for actually African Union, at least south of the Sahara Desert. Mm-hmm. You know, at least for them. So they are Pan-African Unionists, you want to call it like that, mostly. Mm-hmm. You know, more than African Continental Unionists, more than that. Because yeah. also the African Union and the OAU kind of like give them a bad taste of what is a Continental Unionism for them too, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they were very excited, and it was really, I had good dialogues with them. And, uh, you know, and they understand today what are the limits of these states in terms of addressing the issue of youth employment, creation of opportunities. Mm-hmm. They understand that, and they are yearning for that, and they are impatient. And we could come back to that in terms of the coup d'etat and all, yeah, all of yeah, that stuff, that's, you know. Um, yeah. Before I turn it back over to Elliot, I wanted to, um, to, in relationship to moving out of the clarity of the 
the unifying goal of pan-Africanism. You know, these these are the unifying goals, being clear about them. Then, you know, the question that came that I wanted to ask, since 1950, right, the ideal have been about the, uh, the clarity of, even more clarity of a, you know, the restore restoration of dignity, as you say, you know, dignity and security, and you know, as as a Pan African ideal, right, mm-hmm. of black people globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wondering what institutions could you say, as you move through these countries, reflect at least the continuity of that ideal? Is there any organizational structure? That in any of the countries you went through, not that you had to engage them, but been aware of that is reflecting this idea? Mostly, uh, there are, if you want, the there are some political parties that reflect these ideas. Mm-hmm. Youth organizations, a lot of youth organizations that reflect these ideas, mostly, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but in terms of government institutions, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I know I wasn't going to go for Elliot. I, 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 I might be delusional, but I hate that delusional. Right? But, but it's good. To, I mean, because, you know, uh, I, I hear a lot of times we talk about consciousness, right? These pan-African uh-huh. consciousness, pan-African movements. <laughs> but as we say, if this is something that um, African people looking for this type of liberation and, and sovereignty for that, I, and I like that you, you're emphasizing dignity and security, that it's it makes it seem like these are things of the past that has no continuity, even though there's opposition repression of this a movement and or organizational objective taking place. So that's why I wanted to see from 1950, you know, who is there and or who is organizing, not just saying, because here is a lot of people talking about it, but they may not be organizing around it. And I think those are two different things. You know, Richard, uh, uh, there is one thing that happened in the Pan-African movement. Okay. Since the Sixth Congress mm. in Dar es Salaam, the Pan-African movement was hijacked by the left. By who? The left. Yeah. Oh, okay. The Marxist-Leninist left. Hmm. Would you, would you say that's Padmore and them, or...? or? Uh, no, Padmore actually ran away from that. Right, okay. <laughs> Pan-Africanism or communism is what, mm-hmm. you know? Because Padmore, he was in Russia, and there was another fellow from Mali, you know, called Chemoho Gran Kuyate. Mm-hmm. You know, they were both in Russia. They get to become friends there, and they come to realize... You know, based on even how Jews, Jewish people were being treated by the Russians in the in the Communist Party, in the Bolsheviks, mm-hmm. they come to realize that the interest, the occupation, the focus of these is not really the liberation of African people. Mm-hmm. You know? So him and Chemoho Grankwet, Chemoho Grankwet actually convinced him to come to Paris. And they stayed there for a while before George Padmore went to England you know, to continue his work. But the both of them realized that the national question, independence, sovereignty, for us, should be the priority, not class struggle. 
They came to because you see whether you are uh, 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 what is his name uh, 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 this movie guy movie mongol uh, Tyler Tyler Tyler, what is Perry, Tyler Perry whether you are a Tyler Perry or an Elliot Booker you have the same fear when your child is out there <laughs> by the police. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you are a Christian or a Barack Obama, mm-hmm. uh, you have the same fear when your child is driving a car in the night, a beautiful car particularly. I hear that. Why? So it, the problem that we have as black people has nothing to do with our class. Mm-hmm. Come on. It has to do with the identity that was created for us in order to exploit us while having a good conscience. You know, this whole thing with black thing and all of that stuff, because there was a contradiction between the Declaration of Independence and slavery. There was a contradiction between these systems and all of that. Colonization and the, and the, and, and, and the what do you call it, the, the Enlightenment. You know, enlightenment where the, uh, the movement for republic, the French Revolution, the uh, 1719, uh, it, it, there was a contradiction. So in order to match those, they had to, to see us at least justify that we are inferior in a way. Yeah. That they are not violating human rights by making us slaves or colonizing us. You know? So, but that's... that's that's a thing, that's something that is created to demonize, to exploit its economic purpose, you know, but that economic purpose trans- translated in or goes through the denial of our dignity and sovereignty, you know. Regardless, so today, regardless of the class you are as a black person, whether you are the son of a president in Congo or Nigeria or South Africa, if you are in the street of Paris, or in the street of London, or the street of New York, at night, you know, your son, you would worry, or your daughter, you would worry about that. Why? You know, but nowadays, no Chinese is worried about going anywhere they want. Mm. No one will touch them, you know. <laughs> to the contrary, you want to invite them to your house. You want them to marry your daughter, or marry your son. You know? Hey, Elliot, um, I don't know if you would agree, but I think uh, I think that's what we've been uh, really excavating here on Time for Awakening that to make that distinction that no matter where you go, <laughs> if you're black, you're going to uh, suffer the same consequences. Regardless. Of course, regardless of the class that you belong to. Richard, if a black person had an, a, a business here, like he's a capitalist, ferocious capitalist, heartless capitalist, you know, and puts you there exploiting you. You know, his children and your children will have the same, and he themselves, the treatment, the way that they are looked at. If no one knows you, just as a person, you're treated the same way, mm. in a way. <laughs> yeah, when people know you, that's a different, that's not, that's not no longer, uh, 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 the, uh, that's a person now. It's not, you know, a personality. You know, uh, Dr. Mate, let me um, read a paragraph here that uh, that uh, was written in relation to Pan-Africanism in the 21st century. Uh, 
because it it directly relates to what you and Brother Richard was just talking about. Um, you said African here it says African nations which Europeans purposely and wrongfully call ethnic groups or tribes. Most of their original nations were probably unaware of each other's existence. However, mm-hmm. however, mm-hmm. they quickly understood that their destinies had become intrinsically linked. In doing so, they had to break down the barriers that separated them, form a united block, learn to live, resist together, and support each other as members of a larger black fam- uh, a large family of black people. Absolutely. That's what Ndabadingi Sitele called consciousness of a kind. It, it, now, I can see from what you expressed in the beginning that that ideal seems to be more receptive on the continent than it is here. I, I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I'm talking about as a group, because, and, and, and I'm not talking about individuals because you're going to go to every city and see a lot of our people that understand and uh, espouse the philosophy of the Pan-Africanist movement, the Pan-Africanist Federalist movement, expound those philosophies. But I'm talking about as far as it being receptive from, and I wouldn't say necessarily governmental organizations, but organizations that are more linked to the government, the media, the educational institutions. Uh, as you expressed in the beginning, the, the door was opened uh, in media. You were on television programs. You went to mm-hmm. the universities. You spoke. Mm-hmm. That, that's not happening in all of the places, and especially in the diaspora. So I know it's work that has to be done. It's work that's being done. The last time you were here, you talked about uh, the uh, the links on the European continent, the links in uh, South America, the islands, and here in the states, um, along with the organization that's going on on the continent. Is it a target, just curious, and it, uh, you don't have to uh, give a specific date, but is there a target when you want to have that uh, first uh, Pan-African Federalist gathering? Well, we... Um uh, the Pan-African, the leadership of the movement is having a meeting in December, okay. December 8th to the 10th. And uh, we certainly will be discussing about a date, probably, of the Congress. Okay. Uh, my visit to Africa and also this conversation that I have had through the continent have made me realize that, you know, you see what you said uh, is important. See, a people that is traumatized, colonized, denied of accumulating wealth, is pushed to kind of like to the survival mode. And in the survival mode, we compete with ourselves, among ourselves. We don't compete with the others who really hold the wealth. Okay, okay. So we become very jealous of each other because it's not a lot. But each one of us want to have as much as they can. So if you accommodate to this mode of exploitation, this system of exploitation, we're using you to like a, 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 a commodity because we are a commodity. The whole idea was to make of us a commodity. 
you know. Whether you are a, a slave or a laborer, you are a commodity, mm -hmm. you know. So you don't accumulate wealth, you know, we're fighting each other. But I would say that I will also, there is, uh, when I walk in the street of Harlem or when I'm on the train or I'm on a bus or something like that, when a black person comes, they always say, oh, hi. You know, they always, we, there is a connection. That always, there is a sense of, of, of connection that always exists. Always. Whether even if I'm, I'm sitting on the beach, you know, uh, somebody who doesn't know me, the, the Africans, African-American, black person in general, they always, there is a sort of kind of, like, either by the look, the eyes or anything like that, there is always, they reach out to me. And that is there. You see, that's not going to go away, you know, because we understand we are in the same boat. Consciously, you know, if we manifest it consciously like you do, or I do, or subconsciously, like the person who says hello to me without even, you know, just like that, you know. So there has to be something to kind of give Africans the, the, the courage or the desire, you know, to, to, to reach out to each other in a way and form a block, you know, for their own... Uh, uh, for the enhancement of their condition. If they are in a system like America, or you are in a new colony like Africa, in, in African countries, you really are not really having, you know, it's more, more there is no, there, there, there's, there, there's an, a competition that is there. You know, you are in the competition mode for uh, your part of the, the, the crumbs left behind by the exploiters. You know what? It's 7.58. We're going to take a brief brief break at the top of the hour. When we come back, we're going to continue the discussion. There's some callers on the line, and we'll we'll get to them right after the break. Um, and after the break, we're going to talk about some of the things going on in relation to the uh, these uh, coup attempts, what has been going on in the Shahal uh, region of, uh, of the, the continent. Uh, it was a published report that was released a couple of days ago about Sierra Leone and the attempted coup there. Get some clarity from our guest this evening, Afri uh, activist, organizer, and secretary general of the International Committee of the Pan-Africanist Federalist Movement, Dr. Jume Faye. We'll be right back. And you can join the conversation also by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. Listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening. 
with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, Black Power, A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global Kometsu Black family, to join your interconnected Kometsu Black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. Some of us are not afraid that even though we may be elected, we'll say what's on our mind. But we must understand that we are freedom fighters first, and that all the other things come next. That I'm a black man first, and then a state representative. I don't confuse the two. And I think it's time for us to wake up and realize and understand that you got a lot of us that are willing to go to battle because of freedom will never be free unless we take it. There's too many of us sitting around thinking that it's going to come to us on some damn silver platter. Wake up, you fools, and understand this man has no respect for you. None. None whatsoever. And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. See, brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us 
or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America. We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Thank you. of the kinds of victories that were won by the Southern Freedom Movement, uh, black people occupy far more establishment positions than they did back in my day in the, in the 1960s. So in a sense, you also have a struggle with, with, with a kind of black establishment <laughs> that has a vested interest in the status quo. So you're up against a, 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 an establishment within the black community that we never had to face because it didn't exist <laughs> because of segregation and discrimination. And that makes their task, if they want to organize, much, much more difficult with respect to the black community than what we had to face. Today our people can see that we're faced with a government conspiracy. This government has failed us. The senators who are filibustering concerning your and my rights, that's the government. Don't say it's Southern senators, this is the government. This is a government filibuster. It's not a segregationist filibuster. It's a government filibuster. Any kind of activity that takes place on the floor of the Congress or the Senate, that's the government. But this government has failed us. The government itself has failed us. And the white liberals who have been posing as our friends have failed us. And once we see that all these other sources to which we've turned have failed, we stop turning to them and turn to ourselves. We need a self-help program. proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 8.07 here on this Sunday evening. Our guest this evening in conversation, activist organizer and secretary general of the International Committee of the Pan-Africanist Federalist Movement, Dr. Jumei Faye is with us in conversation. You can join this, this conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Uh, le- well, let, let, me, let me do this. I'm going to go to a couple of these questions, and then I'll come back to uh, to address some of the things I, I want to mention. Uh, is that all right with you, Richard? 
Let's go to six. Let's go to Toronto. Six four seven. Toronto. Toronto, are you there? Can you hear me? Oh, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Toronto. Let's Hello. Go. I hear you. Can you hear me? Hello, hello. Uh, uh, listen, I'll, I'll if you can hear me, I'll disconnect you, and maybe you can call, dial back. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Sorry, oh, okay. sorry about that. Oh, uh, no problem. Oh, I had a question uh, uh, for the brother. Since uh, we were uh, colonized by the uh, Portuguese, the French, the Spanish, so on and so forth. I was wondering, uh, uh, we need a language that can unif- that can we can communicate with as one people. And I wanted to know if uh, the, the brother uh, does he suggest uh, Ki Swahili, Zulu, Hausa, or Arabic, or, 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 or is there a, a, a language that we can use that can un- unite us as a people today and tomorrow? Uh, what's your name, brother? My name? Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Norman. Uh, my name is Norman Richmond. Norman. Okay, Call Norman. Up. That's okay. I just wanted to, I like to, brother Norman. Uh, uh, Richard, should I answer or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, brother Norman, uh, you see, like uh, Franz Fanon said, every generation in the opacity of things must discover its mission and you know uh, achieve it or fail its people right now the issue of language to me is not my generation's priority you know we we have especially with new technology today we have many different ways we could communicate. We could have actually uh, 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 communication. It, it, it takes some of the languages on the continent, the Fulani, the others. There is a lot of work being done to, in it. They have languages on the continent, you know, uh, that are there. Uh, they are developing these languages to make them kind of like be able to uh, 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 be able to, to, to really express all the concepts, to include all the concepts of the new development. Because, as you know, African development was arrested about 400 years ago or more, okay? All that we were doing to enhance our languages, our culture, our, you know, it was arrested. So we need our restoration of our sovereignty, the control of our destiny, in order to go towards an African renaissance. And when I talk about African renaissance, I am talking about us, you know, pre-European contact cultures to re-become the fundamentals of the economic theories, of the political theories, of the philosophical theories, and all of that stuff. You know, that takes a long time. 
But in order to get there, we have to first to recapture the control of our sovereignty as a people. And that, it cannot be done by the civil rights movement. It cannot be done by a European... It has to be done on the continent of Africa with the participation of everyone. Because the continent is our base. This is our gravity center of operations. Okay? This is where we are identified with. Well, that's what we identify with. So, to make a long story short, I am not really focused on whether we should speak Swahili. Well, people who want to learn Swahili, that's fantastic. Let them go learn Swahili. People who want to learn Fulani, let them go learn it. People who want to learn another language, let them go learn it. You know? But let's restore our sovereignty. Otherwise, see, we're going to be fighting over what language and over... While the imperialists are going to be really happy for us to be fighting over these shenanigans. Hmm. You know? The imperialists, what they don't want us to... What they don't want us to talk about is and neocolonialism. They don't want us to talk about that. I don't care what language you speak, but we have to restore our sovereignty. And I think it was Walter Rodney. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. Let me finish. Let me let, let, me, let and, you finish. And no, put ourselves in the position of uh, creating or at least designing our policies and having the wherewithal to implement them, regardless of what the rest of the world think. There yeah. we could now have. Let's say, okay, a hundred-year plan. Let's make sure that at least we have regional languages. At least, at least, and then from there, there will be a language that will emerge. Once you break these boundaries between Africa, there will be a language that will be become dominant. And generation, twenty-four generations from now, will start to move towards that language. That's what I believe. I remember Walter Rodney said that while we would, we, you know, African people, we would be in a in a room arguing about this question about language, the imperialists would be in the next room developing a, a nuclear bomb. You know? Absolutely. I agree with him, you know. <laughs> Let's, I'm communicating, and if you want to speak to the I could translate for them. You know, what is the problem? <laughs> <laughs> you know? But one thing, one thing we have to agree on is we have to agree the end of neocolonialism in Jamaica, in Senegal, in wherever. And the creation of a sovereign entity on which the sun will never set, like Marcus Garvey said. Once we have that, we could do anything. I will just give you a little anecdote of a, a, one of the quote-unquote founding fathers of the United States, John Adams. You know, uh, his son asked him, Dad, what should I learn? What do you think that I should learn? You know, what, where, where, where should I get expertise? John Adam, his father, told him, you know what? Let's learn law and leave the next generation to study engineering. No. Okay? Let's no. study law to get a country going, you know? And leave <laughs> it to the next generation to study engineering. All right, sir. Thank you. Thank you for your contribution. Thank you. 
Thank you, Brother Norman. Let's go to 202, Washington. 202. 202. Washington, D.C. Let's put them back on hold. Let's go to New York City. Yes, good evening. Um, Richard Elliott into your guests. I I have a question for your guests. Out of the five countries that you went to, which one is embracing your form of Pan-African and opening up a place for you to come and build Pan-Africanism in their land, in their country? Because Pan-Africanism in America how is that beneficial to the black man here? I mean, because sovereignty is supposed to be about moving forward back home and building up home. So I just like to know what country is embracing you. Because I don't I don't see America embracing you. I don't I don't see America giving you any type of foothold in regards to Pan Africanism. I mean, you know most most black people in this country don't want to know nothing about Pan-Africanism, don't want to participate in Pan-Africanism, and basically um, want no part of Pan-Africanism. So I'm always wondering who back home is embracing you and believing your Pan-African ideology, because I know America don't believe in Pan-Africa and the Negro Damn sure don't believe in it in this country. Well, uh, Brother Barron, um, you know, if you listen to the beginning of our conversation, yeah, uh, we did tell that the youth overwhelmingly, and this is what really matters to us because the creation of the United African State is going to be a people, a people's. A, a, a systemic change is always done by the people. It's not done by the leaders. Now, the organized few lead the unorganized many. There has never been a revolution where the majority of the people are organized and ready for it. It's only a few who are organized, who are consistent, who have a message, you know, and sometimes the circumstances come and help them. If I give you the example of the Russian Revolution or the Chinese, let's give the example of the Russian Revolution. Okay? Or even if you go in this country, the example of, you know, for example, the, you know, the, the Fugitive Slave Act, for example, and the mobilization of the, the free men, you know, against slavery at that time. You know, circumstances, or if you look at the movement for Garvey, you know, Garvey, you know, what gives him, gave him really a big push in his, or yes, he was a good organizer, dedicated. But if there was not the return of the GI of the world, 1914, 1914, World War, who came and were denied, more than 800,000 of them sir, were denied sir, their... Sir. Sir, could you please answer the question? Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on a second. If you were listening to the program from the beginning, he expressed about the five African countries, how he was received in all of the countries, how he was received at universities, how he went on television programs on all of the countries, 
And then you turn around and ask him, uh, how was it received? I didn't received? hear the beginning of, of, okay. okay. the, beginning of the program. That's okay. why well, I asked I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. But he oh, was okay. received. The, he was the, received. The is, all he, I want to know is what country is embracing what he's putting forward in okay. regards let me, to let me, let, let, let me respond quickly. Most African countries will embrace Pan-Africanism. African Union, African Unionism. Let me put it that way. Most African countries, if it is explained to them the right way, what has been happening is that it has been explained to them the wrong way. Talking to them about socialist Africa, talking about them socialist and all of that stuff. Of course, people don't want that, but they want an Africa that is united, strong, where them in power could at least put their agenda forward and and and, and implement it. All of them want that. I haven't met a leader in Africa who doesn't wonder. The pre-Congress of our movement was funded by the president of Senegal. The president of Ghana is the one who opened our pre-Congress in Accra. The president of Burkina Faso, the president of Mali, ambassadors, all of them came to our pre-Congress. So that's the organization that doesn't exist yet. That's what we're building. We are so basically what you're saying is... People are ready for African Basically what you're saying is all of the countries like the idea, but none of the countries are willing to give you land and a place to build upon. Well, we're that, not that's land. basically you're what you're saying. We're not asking land, my brother. Okay? So you keep imposing in your yeah. question the we're not asking for land. that the person... We is. don't want the land. So what do so what do you what do you want to ideology? Question. Don't don't suppose your position. So I'm asking you, what do you what do you want to be able uh, to okay. pass along an ideology let, and idea? Let me let me explain to you what I want. I want an Africa that has no border. I want an Africa where African Americans, African Caribbeans, African Latino or Europeans will have an inalienable right to become citizens of that Africa that is united, where the federal government will make land available to anyone who want to come back home, not as a pittance, but as a right. Because people who were forced into slavery has never given up their land, to the right to the land. That's the Africa I want. Does it sound good for you? I hear, I have a better idea now on what you on what you want and what African countries that you have visited what, is what, Baron, so all but, I can but, say is but, but a baron. What cannot happen is that as long as you will have states that are controlled by imperialists in Africa, your right to come back to Africa will not be recognized. It will be given to you as just a favor, which shouldn't be the case. Because the land of Africa belongs to you too, as much as it belongs to me from Senegal. I have no more right to the land than you do. But there has to be the right kind of government, the kind of government that Marcus Garvey wanted, Kwame Nkrumah wanted, Sheikh Antejob wanted, Boganda wanted, for you, for that right for you to be able for you to access to that right which to me is an inalienable right. I want an African government that could extend, protect, make credit available to African Americans here who will have double nationality, 
so that we can have competing businesses here. I don't want to see a young man here in Philadelphia, New York, Chicago, L.A. to be getting out of the university and have very little hope to find a job. I don't want to see that. And only a united Africa can provide that protection to them. I don't want me to tell my child, be careful where the police officer comes out. Like Malcolm X says, they don't fear you. They fear you who you have behind you. And if you have a united African state behind you, they will fear you. That's what I want. And that's why I'm fine. Do African-Americans have interest in that? You tell me. Do, do African-Americans have interest in that? What um, I guess to be, to be To be honest with you, um, I would say no. Okay. A small portion okay. of us, a small portion of us do. A small portion that understands what um, Pan-Africanism is, yeah, we would have interest in that. But the majority of black people in this country, no, because if they did, you wouldn't be in the position that black people are in this country. So, Baron, no, I would, I would Baron, say no. Baron, don't confuse interest, interest and belief. There's a radical difference between interest objective interest and believe that it can happen. Yes, the majority of people here today don't believe that. But it cannot be denied that there will be an African-American here who will not want the youth here to have access to jobs that are well-paying. I don't see any African-American parents who would think that. Thanks for your contribution. Thank you for the call. Uh, Dr. May, the um, I'm, I'm gonna shift gears a little bit because of the published report I read earlier in the week, and it might have been late last week about the attempted coup in Sierra Leone. Uh, the armory, I think, was stormed, according to the published report. The attempted uh, to storm the armory uh, to uh, to get weapons uh, to do damage, so to speak. We see these things happening uh, Mm -hmm. in certain African countries, and we see it happening more rapidly. But we can't determine who's involved in this. We do know one thing. We do know that American interests are there, and a black face on that American interest as far as the head of AFRICOM. We do know that uh, uh, operatives have been released all throughout the continent. Uh, they may be of African-American descent. They may be of African descent. They might be Europeans. Mm-hmm. We do know that sanctioned agencies such as the Peace Corps and, and others have operatives on the continent working against any type of unification efforts and especially uh, what is being discussed by you on this program today. Um, We had Charles Cobb, and I played his voice in that collage that you just heard and talk about the difficulty now of organizing. And he wasn't talking about on a world scale. He was just talking about in the southern United States at that time. Mm -hmm. That That now you have people that look like us that have a vested interest in the status quo. So 
how do you envision and I, and I always say you but it's not just you it's it's a it's a it's a whole group of people yeah. that's involved in this we're just speaking to you tonight on the program but how do you um I don't want to say envision that struggle because it's happening as we speak. But how is that the organization? How is that organization being attempted in the midst of people that are trying to destroy it? See, and that and that's different, Doctor May. That's different than any other people. Most people that have tried to organize, they don't have to try to organize under a banner of of other people in their midst trying to destroy it. That's, mm-hmm. that's a little challenge that black people have always faced. So Absolutely. how is that now in 2023 trying to organize in an environment like that? It is, it is, uh, it is very difficult, I have to say. But you know, uh, Elliot, what makes it difficult is the African intellectuals. It is not the African people, masses. <laughs> it is not actually America or France who makes it more difficult. It's the African intellectual. The petite bourgeoisie, the petite bourgeoisie, intellectual petite bourgeoisie, who benefits, who could actually draw part that could give them a satisfactory way of life from the crumbs left behind by the imperialists. Those are the ones who actually are in power in Africa. It's just like the civil rights movement here, you see. If you're looking at the civil rights movement, after, if you want, some people who were allowed to come into the administration, some people who were able to make, you know, those people who were pushing, you know, these were the intellectuals among the blacks here. But once that period is passed, they have their own job, then even Martin Luther King become dissatisfied with them at the end. They're disappointed toward the end. You know, because the petit bourgeoisie, they accommodate to the system. They look for a way to accommodate. The petit bourgeoisie in Africa has accommodated to neocolonialism. Mm-hmm. Either by being in government or being an, in, in, in civil society organization funded by the George Soros and others. Mm-hmm. See? By imperialists in general. And they put them into the shenanigan of civil, of, of, of human rights which has no sense at all. No one can sue a government based on civil rights. What government? There's none. Constitutional rights, yes, this is why you have the American Civil Liberty Union. This is why you have, you know, NAACCP, you know, Brown versus the Board, Board of Education to overturn versus, versus Ferguson, you know. You have constitutional rights. You know, civil society organizations in Africa are geared toward the generality of human rights. So, this comes to what Steve Biko said, my brother, okay, uh, Richard and Elliot, and those listening. Maybe because one said the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. Mm-hmm. 
You see, the mind of our people in, uh, is in our petite bourgeoisie. And that mind is actually committed to accommodation to neocolonialism. This is why when people are talking about educating our youth, no, it's not the youth that needs to be educated. <clears throat> it's the petite bourgeoisie intellectual, the university professors and all of those who have been actually, you know, fallen into the charm of neo, the advantage they get from neocolonialism, who need to be re-educated in order to educate the youth. Because if you leave those people educating the youth, they will give them the wrong education. And it will be an education of accommodation to imperialism, accommodation to neocolonialism. So what we're doing in the Pan-African Service Movement is that we're going at the bottom, at the people, particularly the youth and the women. We're creating national coalitions. We're organizing a congress where we will identify many of the serious Pan-African organizations, serious African unionist organizations, you know, Africa, I'm not talking about continental organizations, African continentalists, I'm talking about but African Pan-African organizations that are interested in African unionism, you know, African unionist organization, so that we could all come together and launch a campaign that could capture the huge interest that the youth have today on Pan-Africanism because of the failure of our states, because of today the demonstration that neocolonialism will never satisfy them. That's what we're trying to do. Let's go to uh, Mississippi. Hazelhurst. You're there? Yeah, McQueen is muted. Uh, Maybe they stepped away. We'll we'll come back. Mississippi. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, I I just... It's, it's, um, I just wanted to follow up on what Elliot was asking in relationship to how do we analyze these coup, what they call in coups? Um, I like, yeah, how, how do we analyze them from the vantage point of this pan African sovereign perspective? Excellent, Richard. There are two causes that I identify as the reason why we have this coup d'etat. Two reasons. The first reason is the vulnerability of the states. If 20 militaries could get up in Sierra Leone and expect that they could get and seize power, it's because the Sierra Leone state is vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You will not see a thousand military in the U.S. trying to take power here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they will not even think about it. You know? But a hundred militaries in Senegal, a hundred militaries in Mali, a hundred militaries in Burkina Faso or wherever in Africa, because the state is so vulnerable and weak, you know, they could actually, you know, take it over by just controlling a few points. So the vulnerability of the state, the vulnerability of the state is also due to another factor, a uh, to ensure uh, the uh, incapacity of the state to ensure its own security. 
you know, to ensure its own security. That's one vulnerability. The other vulnerability is that the state has very meager resources so that the people don't even identify it as theirs. They will not protect it. They will not put their lives online to protect it. They rather go with somebody who will tell them, if I take power, I will give you this. Mm. So those, that's one, those are really the vulnerability of the state is at the core, at the center of the numerous coup d'etat you've seen in Africa from, 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 from a long time. Okay? Now, today, what is increasing that is that there is insecurity. Look at the countries like Mali, Niger, Burkina Faso. Okay? All of these, all the coups d'etat in Burkina Faso are based on the lack of security. All of them. Mali, you know, it's it based on the lack of security, the war that is happening there. Okay? In, 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 in Niger, it's the same thing. Okay? The lack of security because the state cannot ensure security to people kind of makes people nervous. And when somebody in the army comes and can I can ensure security, stop the terrorists, they could do it. Now, the third element that I would add to that, which is capital also, is the inability of the states to address what we call in economy the demographic dividend. Meaning the number of jobs that come on the job market every year. The absorption capacity of the economy in regard to these jobs that come, most of them youth, onto the market, you know, the amount of jobs that come into the market is called demographic dividend. Now, the capacity of the state to absorb them or not absorb them could lead either to economic prosperity if it absorbs them or social instability if the state cannot absorb them because it brings desperation. And anyone who have seen what have happened in Watts and all of that, you know, all of these manifesting after, right after the civil rights movement in the 1960s, you know, the second part of 1960s, know that unemployment, you know, people who have no hope, no death, no hope to enhance their condition of life, of course. And the coup d'etat now, you know, are just part of that in a way. They are riding, people who lead this coup d'etat are riding on that frustration. The frustration of the people in now yes, and colonialism, of course. And, and and if y'all don't mind, because um, as you raised that the weakness of the state, a uh, thought comes to me because we've seen that um, just a couple of weeks ago, Kagame in, in the in Rwanda, he re, uh, released it, released uh, 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 or retired a whole slew of generals. Um, from the force. He retired them, um, which makes me wonder, based off of what you said, is it because of the the possibility that those military leaders could see the weakness of the state? And I want to tie that thought to the visit to the Congo, right? And, and what Rwanda is um, accused of in relationship to the extraction of um, mineral resources out of the Congo. And to hear that you had a long um, discussion 
with one of the representatives and even asked to be brought back, if I'm not mistaken. That was the Congo where, where that happened. So um, my question centers around, um, do we look at Rwanda? Because some people have Kagame state um, as a prosperous one. Or do we look at the Congo um, seeing the, the type of sovereignty, Pan-Af- the Pan-African sovereignty, something that they're interested in based off of the conversation that you're having? I'm asking whether Rwanda could be considered a weak state. And that's why the retiring of those military officers. And at the same time, could the Congo recognize that they, they need to give a better control, at least there's at the bureaucratic level, uh, and need to have that kind of discussion? All, all the African states are vulnerable states. Mm-hmm. All of them. Mm-hmm. Nigeria or South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> and now the Congo is even worse. Mm-hmm. It's even worse because, well, there is almost an absent absent state in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Almost an absent state. So it's it's a anybody who can take whatever it's, they want. It's in Kinshasa that really government is really, but everywhere else, it's subject to question whether the government is really there or not. Mm. By the amount of people who get attacked all the time, you know, and this is the same thing. The government, you know, in 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 Ivory, in in Burkina Faso, is on in Ouagadougou. The government in Senegal is in, in Dakar. The government, the state is in is in the capital, as it was designed by the colonialists. Hmm. You know, the rest, there is no, the, the state is almost absent. You know, so it's it's you know you look at Rwanda, a little tiny little country that could pose a problem to a gigantic mastodont like the Democratic Republic of Congo. Why? How? It's because one has a state and the organized few know, lead the unorganized many. Mm-hmm. The Congo is not really really doesn't have. That's what I felt and. When I went to the Congo, for example, to the Democratic Republic of Congo, when I wanted to pay some for something, they wanted me to pay in CFA, which is the neo-colonial French of the <laughs> money of the West, of the former French colonies, or in U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. If I don't give that, they don't accept. They don't accept their money for me to pay things. Mm. In a hotel or anything like that, they don't accept the, the, their own money. A state, in a state, I mean, no, you know, could you imagine that? You know? It's the absence of the state. If the state is not solidly, you know, you see, whether it is Nigeria or the Congo, I think that I said it here last time, what they have done is to reduce the social capital, social cohesion mm. in those countries to zero. And development is the product of resources times social capital. In a multiplication, if one of the factors is next to zero, the product is always going to be next to zero. Yeah. That's what is happening in the Congo and Nigeria. Could you imagine Nigeria? You know, 
their gross domestic product a year is only $500 billion. New York have a trillion and a half, New York State. Mm. Can you imagine that? I mean, like, you know, the With Congo. The With the wealth of the natural resources that are With the wealth, the population, everything that you could think of. Yes, yes. yes. Has has it 25, 30 times, 100 times than New York. And I was telling the people in Cameroon, look at Cameroon. The little Cameroon, the big Cameroon, 18 million, 20 million people. And South South Korea, compare them. If you compare the revenue, the annual revenue per capita, of South Korea is 30 times the annual revenue of a Cameroonian. Mm. So, so when we look at look at now, when you mentioned about the um, in the Congo, they the, uh, they wanted only the Frank, you know, um, France, the CFR Frank, or, or the American dollar, or the dollar. But we hear, um, correct me if I'm wrong, in Niger, and I think there's Guinea Bissau where they're they're um, refusing to use, is it, they're refusing to use the CFR franc, right? Um, or um, having... They want to use, use the CFR. They, they want to or they're... Of, what, I, what I hear is that, you know, it's the CFR that they're using there. Oh. In so Guinea-Bissau. Mm. They are part of the ECOWAS. They, you know, Guinea-Bissau right. is today protected by the ECOWAS. The militaries, you know, the ECOWAS is what is maintaining almost the president's power. So, and is is that the same case with Niger too, who just had a, you know, their their kids? Niger, they are still using the the French franc, the CFA. Burkina Faso, the CFA. Mali, the CFA. Right. right. So, they're still- how could you how could you talk about sovereignty if you're using the, somebody else's money? Hmm. You know. Those are, this, see, you know, my brother, there is a lot of, you know, a lot of talk, a lot of, like, fiery declarations. You don't eliminate, you know, neo-colonial by a fiery declaration or condemnation. You create the condition for its death. And the only condition for its death is the unification of the states. That's all that what the imperials are concerned with. Whatever else we're doing, they don't care. But it's the unification, but they, because they know that they cannot stop us from uniting. Because we could do it democratically, peacefully. And this is what the Pan-African Fellows Movement is advocating for. The mechanism, the condition, the tools to create a united African state through the democratic process exist. It's the referendum for constitutional change. There is no country where you cannot change the constitution. Which, which way, way if, if, and I, I apologize, Elliot, no, going, but right. Brother Jamoki is um, raising, you know, the, I was just uh, looking over um, Dr. Frances Cress Welsing, um, her chapter 12 about fear, when we're talking about white supremacy and domination, that we are, the, the reason why we're not addressing um, the Pan-Africanist restoration, sovereignty, dignity, and security, and I'm asking you as a question, um, is it because um, we are we are afraid to address it? 
at, at some, you know, we talk about Fanon, but is the fear of truly going after and saying, and only for us to be able to have real power, that we will have to confront this uh, you know, imperialist structure. Is Brother Richard, fear the reason why Brother, we're not dealing with it. Brother Richard, I said there is a fear, but the fear is not the fear of them. The fear is the fear of the petite bourgeoisie to lose to lose the advantage that they have at neocolonialism. Ooh. So that's where the fear is. You know? So the fear so is, is among the African intellectuals to lose their privileged position. Mm. You see, before you were talking to me about the the elected official, black elected officials. Mm-hmm. Why don't they want to be seen too black? Why don't they want to be? Because they fear to lose their their seat. So, so it's because, just a, <laughs> it's the same thing. It's the same. <laughs> oh, that's what I was getting ready to say. It's the same thing whether you're on the continent or here. It's the same thing. Same thing. It's the fear of the intellectual petite bourgeoisie who are privileged in the system of oppression to lose that. That they are trying to make us believe, oh yeah, they're gonna do no, they wanna let us and all all of that shenanigan. That's nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's their fear to lose their 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 their, their advantages. That's all it is about. Well, I'm I'm uh, I'm 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 uh, I mean I agree with you. I I see it and it, and it and it makes you know it, it says to us how fearless we have to be. Um, in, in making in in how we view and making our movements forward or making our steps forward. So, yeah. I mean, I don't even say I won't even say fearless. Mm-hmm. How immune to the shenanigan of the intellectual petit bourgeoisie we have to be? Immune. <laughs> immune to their nonsense, you know. And, and, and talking to us about democracy, talking about human rights and nonsense, talking about, yeah, they won't let us. All that is them trying to create fear in us mm-hmm. who really want change because they know it's not true. It lets us know that uh, the time for organization is now, and they know it can't be stopped. They're, no. trying, they're trying to do everything to stop it, to thwart it, but it's eventually going to win out. All we got to do they is won't. just keep keep our nose to the grindstone. They won't. They won't. Can I stop the the waves of the sea with your with your arms? You know, <laughs> you know, whether you want it or not, a big wave is going to move. You know, clear clear you from the from anything. Time for changes here, okay. brother uh, Elliot and Richard. Mm-hmm. The African people, what they are, what I, what I say to people, the time for changes here. Okay, what needs to be created is only only the spark that will be able to serve the people as a guide in terms of what are the next steps to be taken in order for that change to happen. The next same step for us in the Pan-African Fellows Movement is constitutional modifications on all the African countries. And this constitutional modification is to say that we, the people of Senegal, accept to mutualize the management of the portion of, 
of the following portion of the sovereignty of our state, of our sovereignty as a people. And those are, let's say, the debt, let's say, the army, let's say, the economy, let's say, the money, let's say, the foreign, you know, uh, foreign policies. Mm. And we will mutualize this portion of sovereignty with any other African that accept, other African people constituted in a, in, a, in a sovereign country that accept to mutualize them with us. That's the only thing that we're looking for in the Pan-African Salesman, a constitutional, legal constitutional change. If you want to create a federal government as large as the one that we want to create, a united African state, it has to be a democratic process. Of those who could vote, in this country, that was that's how it was done. It was not a minority imposing their will to others, no. There was a constitutional convention, but that constitutional convention, the ratification was done by the local people assemblies. And that's, that's how it has to happen. That's yeah. one thing that I, uh, um, that, that I advocate that comes out of the Jackson, um, Jackson um, rising um, process happening out of Mississippi is people assemblies. That we have to have more um, black people have to have more people assemblies, and Absolutely. they are not necessarily tied to the Democratic or the Republican Party. They're right. just assemblies that will determine um, things like um, that you're raising. So I, oh. I agree. Dr. Jemay, uh, December is uh, one of the big meetings. Uh, the door is always open, so you can come back, uh, give us a. Uh, more details on uh, uh, early next year or the, or maybe the summer when the uh, the world gathering will take place. Uh, and plus the door is always open, period. Anytime things break, uh, anytime we want to discuss issues of the, of the continent and uh, what's going on with our folks there, um, the door is always open to you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate uh, your your questions. I appreciate your you know your openness. Uh, we are all in it together, you yes. know, you know, for our salvation, you know, we are all in it. And I really appreciate people like, you know, uh, you and Richard doing what you're doing in that education. And like I said, the African intellectuals need to be educated, whether it is here or on the continent. We need to be educated in the necessity of a systemic change. We need to refuse the accommodation to Jim Crow or to neo-colonialism. They need to refuse to accommodate to it. They need to be debriefed in understanding that sovereignty is the only way that could bring prosperity for African people wherever and security and the restoration of their dignity wherever they may find themselves in the universe. Hmm. We have to control a sovereign power in order to be able, we have to be on the world geopolitical map as Africans. But if you're looking at a world geopolitical map, we are nowhere. Nowhere. And that's why people make plans, and we are the tools for them, for those plans to be to be achieved. 
It's not America. It's not Mississippi. It's not very Jamaica. It has to be in Africa. So that's all that. <laughs> Dr. Jermaine, thanks for being with us. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Peace. All right. Take care now. Peace. Peace. Richard, uh, I want you to, uh, we're going to take a brief break. When we come back, Richard, I want to um, spin off into a couple of the uh, issues. I, I want to play a c- couple of clips, Richard, I think is important for uh, the Time for Awakening audience to hear. Um, and I want to thank uh, Brother Reese Carver up there in New York, Black Men Screaming. He sent these to me. And uh, I'm going to play it for the listening audience because I think it kind of borders on the conversation we was just having with Dr. Jermaine. Right. And it it might kind of give us a, a insight on what's going on with our people. See, unlike, you know, what some of us may believe that some of our people want to accept this type of stuff and we ain't about doing anything, that's not accurate. Once you get out here and, 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 and see the pulse of what's going on, talk to the people, see what's happening in other cities. You see more and more of our people almost daily is getting sick of this foolishness. Mm. When we come back, I just want to play a couple of these clips, Richard, and and just get your thoughts on them. And plus, uh, uh, Kamala Harris was in uh, Dubai yesterday with uh, some representatives of uh, uh, I know it was African countries there, but I want to I want to read something that she said, which kind of goes right to what <laughs> uh, Dr. Jermaine had expressed a little early on in the program. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation and, and you can get involved, too, while we're still uh, still time for the program by Don 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. Brother Richard, on time for an awakening media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. 
Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. The Digital Plantation, abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger. Run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global commit to you black family, to join your interconnected commit to you black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. A new era, a new phase of the struggle where we have moved from a struggle for decency, which characterized our struggle for 10 or 12 years, to a struggle for genuine equality. And this is where we are getting the resistance because there was never any intention uh, to go this far. People were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith for the realization of genuine equality. Do you think white people in this country, and I'm talking about non-segregation, as people devoid or thinking they're devoid of racism, do you have any idea of what they want the Negro to be in America? I think the vast majority of white Americans uh, will go but so far. It's a kind of installment plan for equality, and uh, they are always looking for an excuse uh, to go, but so far. And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. The brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America. We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Thank you. Whites are expert game players in their contests to maintain absolute power. One of the time-honored gimmicks is to point to individual blacks who've achieved recognition. But look at Ralph Bunch. Think about Lena Horne or Marian Anderson. Look at Jackie Robinson. They made it as one of those who has made it. I would like to be thought of as an inspiration to our young, but I don't want them lied to. Name them for me. The examples of blacks who made it. 
for virtually everyone you name. I can give you a sordid piece of factual information on how they have been mistreated, humiliated. Not being able to fight back is a form of severe punishment. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to the group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian emancipation proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian civil rights bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own emancipation proclamation. Don't let anybody take your manhood. For an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back. Time for an Awakening. Uh, <clears throat> Richard. Yep. Uh, interesting dialogue that we had uh, with uh, <clears throat> Professor Jume and um, the work that's being done there. You know, I, I was kind of surprised, Richard, that the uh, you know, he mentioned it before, but I mean, it's, it was, it's, it's always good to keep hearing it about the reception that he received, not only at the universities and at, uh, you know, at the TV stations there, but by <laughs> certain heads of state. Right. Where they were very interested in what he's saying. Uh, and even if they're not, even if they are, are, are perpetrating a fraud, so to speak, if you want to use that type of language. They're having this audience. Right. They're hearing what he's saying because that's different than what you would get here. And I'm talking about of the black elected officials. Oh, yeah. I mean, he could go to any city and have an audience with the grassroots people. That would happen. (laughs) You know what I'm saying, Richard? Right. Yep. But I'm talking about an audience with the grassroots. I I mean, with with the, the quote unquote bourgeoisie. Right. Or ones that want to be bourgeoisie. And go to these universities and have an audience with them. That might not happen because of fear. Now, you might get some student groups that want somebody to come and speak to them. But if they got to go through these uh, uh, provosts and and, uh, heads of these universities, they might not get that type of reception. You you know what I'm talking about. Definitely. 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 Yeah. And and I'm glad that he made those um, the point of clarity because I hear it all the time in relationship to the different, um, I'm going to call it definitions of Pan-Africanism, but the historical um, directions that people are, when they're using Pan-Africanism, what do they mean? And and this part about sovereignty, you know, I'm stuck on it. You know, you I've always been, I was just looking for um, what's called a book on sovereign thinking. And, you know, so sovereignty is like really high as a, a trigger point for me, but sovereignty, dignity, and security. I mean, 
Um, I, I just don't hear where, when I hear people even talking about it being against Pan-Africanism or even for that they're talking about it to that degree because that means you're really, and the example is with the, the you know, the, uh, the using the countries that are using the French dollar, what he expressed in the Congo. You can't, you, they, they don't even have no money. They're using the French dollar or the American dollar. But, the, but it's considered a nation state. That's wild. And to, to want that sovereignty, dignity, and security is to say that you can no, you no longer, you, you no longer exist in, in relationship to having dominance over our, you know, our power. That, that, that clarity. And what I find is that people don't want to go to that because they know, you know, to that degree. And he helped me see, you know, as you said, and, and this clip will show that this black bourgeoisie, they don't want to give up with their benefiting from it. Hmm. And, and that's, you know, that's, and that bourgeoisie don't have to be people who are working in a legacy organization. That could be just persons who have a job who concern about their, you know, they got their 401k. They, 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 yeah, they acknowledge all that other stuff, but they ain't willing to give that up. Yeah, that, that, that fear is real, Richard, whether it's on the continent or here. That fear is real. And it's real to a people that have been subjugated. Right. I like the way he termed it arrested development, that our people had been under arrested development for over 400 years. R- Richard, let me, I'm going to play a clip here. Um, First, I want to read from these two published reports. This one here, you know, the more and more we hear this foolishness coming from these uh, black faces on white power is really, I mean, it don't it don't amaze me. But, you know, you just get, come on, come on. Who are you talking to? Let me read this. Kamala Harris was in uh, Dubai uh, over the weekend. It might still be there. Uh, let me let me read this. It says Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, in the United Arab Emirates uh, attending the COP28 summit in Dubai. Mm-hmm. Uh, at a meeting Saturday with uh, the leaders that were there uh, and speaking to Egyptian President Abdul Fattah el-Sisi that Washington will not allow for forced relocation of Palestinians or any redrawing of the current borders of the Gaza Strip. Uh, Her quote, under no circumstances will the United States permit forced relocation of Palestinians from Gaza or from the West Bank. Uh, The besiegement of Gaza or the redrawing of borders of Gaza, said Harris, according to a statement from the vice president uh, on Saturday. Harris said Saturday that while the U.S. supports Israel's legitimate military objectives in Gaza, the civilian suffering inside the enclave has been too high. Vice President said that she spoke in depth with several leaders uh, in the region about the expectations the U.S. will have in regards to the post-conflict conflict planning. However, regional leaders like Jordan's King Abdullah have expressed concern that Israel could use the conflict to seize parts of Gaza and expel Palestinian residents. 
It's unclear what role Israel plans to play after the conflict ends. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu told CNN uh, that Israel's security role in a post-war Gaza would be an overriding, overreaching military envelope, but did not explain what that meant. So, you know, when you get this woman making a silly statement like this, uh, saying that under no circumstances will the United States permit forced relocation of Palestinians from Gaza or the West Bank, besiegement of Gaza, or the redrawing of borders of Gaza, she said. I mean, isn't that what's going on, Richard? Maybe, maybe I'm living in the twilight zone. Hey, that's that's what's going on. They, they and they put it on the news. They didn't told the people to leave that area. <laughs> and if they don't, you see, they just throwing bombs. So mm-hmm. what are you talking about? You're not going to allow. Then it said here, uh, Harris said also said that while the U.S. supports uh, Israel's legitimate military objectives in Gaza, the civilian uh, suffering inside the enclave has been too high. I mean, what is, what is this double talk? Just to save uh, somebody's position, uh, maybe in black people's eyes. I don't know who she's referring to or talking to in this because mm-hmm. you can see more and more that the black people that voted for him and put him in, that made him president, that uh, support is waning Mm. daily. So I I just wanted to share that, you know, the silly statement that came out of uh, her mouth in reference to what's going on, the the, uh, the extermination of people in that land, what's going on over there. I mean, for people that are supposed Mm. to be intelligent, that's the stupidest statement. One of the stupidest statements I've heard her say, maybe within the past two, three weeks. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what to say, Elliot. I mean, you're saying it all. Uh, I want to play this clip, Richard. Uh, this um, and see this this goes to the problem, Richard. This is the problem. But more and more of our people are seeing through this. Not more and more of our people walking around that they don't care or walking around with blinders on. You know, I don't know where that type of mindset comes from. But most of our people are seeing this, but they don't know exactly how they can fight. But if they organize, they can fight. Now, let me do I'm going to read this first, Richard, because if you remember, and that wasn't that long ago. In fact, it was last year or early this year. Uh. The woman that was mayor up there in Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, mm-hmm. she spent one term in office, but she lost that seat because uh, the black community didn't support her that second time around. They supported her the first time. Mm-hmm. But after she got in there and had another objective as far as assisting the police, she was against reparations, although she was against that before she went in. But maybe some people wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt in Chicago. I don't know they voted for her. But this time they didn't vote for. Now, the one guy that went in, uh, Brandon Johnson, had support from the grassroots community, if you remember, Richard. Mm -hmm. He was running against that guy that used to be the school board president here in Philadelphia that that destroyed the school board, then went down to New Orleans and did the same thing. Destroyed Mm -hmm. those school boards in black communities. Valis. Now, let me read this here, Richard, and then I'm going to play this clip. This is from Chicago Sun-Times in April of earlier this year. 
Uh, the header says a tight race for mayor. Black political establishment may face a reckoning, says the Chicago, Chicago Sun-Times. The race for mayor was called in Brandon Johnson's favor late Tuesday after a long evening when it remained too close to call. Uh, Johnson and his opponent, Paul Vallis, had presented mayoral visions that couldn't have been, uh, that couldn't differ more. One focused on investing in people rather than police. The other focused on abating the fear of crime by hiring more cops. One prioritized a future that eschews modern uh, modernization in favor of progressive politics, while the other could be viewed as a protector of the status quo. Johnson ended up winning the race. But we now know that much of the black establishment had backed Vallis. Uh, Retired Secretary of State Jesse White quickly threw his support behind him once the runoff was determined. Perennial candidate Willie Wilson pleaded with black voters on black radio to vote for Vallis. Former Congressman Bobby Rush and former Illinois State Senate uh, President Emile Jones put their name on Vallis' list. Alder Persons, Emma Mitz, Walter Burnett Jr., Michelle Harris, Derek Curtis, Roderick Sawyer, Anthony Beal, and David Moore used their political capital to vouch for Vallis. There were this this was a whiff of old school plantation politics. And what did the uh woman Leon call it, Richard? Uh minstrel <laughs> what did he call it, Richard? Um uh Oh, man, I can't think of it now. uh, Well, whatever. They call it plantation politics. Wilma Leon had another uh, phrase he coined. But let me finish it. It says the Fraternal Order Police also backed Vallis and swatted away accusations of racism and used the black establishment as a buffer. To be sure, Johnson, a little-known Cook County commissioner last fall, inherits a legacy of black activism. Congress... Men Jesse Jonathan Jackson and fellow West Sider Congressman Danny Davis supported Johnson. But Johnson, a West Sider who emerged from the progressive political wing, in some ways may be perceived as a black outsider since the black political power in Chicago tends to be concentrated in the South. Now, it talked about here that the black bourgeoisie, so to speak, black mm-hmm. ballas. Right. And uh, Johnson was from the community and had community support. Now, this is now, but you see what's happening now in Chicago. The right. black, the black folks are totally up in arms about what's been going on with immigrants coming into the city, similar right. to what's happening in New York, Philadelphia, and a lot of these cities. Right. Now, I want to play this clip, Richard. Now. I do give Jesse Jack or Jonathan Jackson, which is Jesse's son, credit in this respect, because I ain't going to trash them all if they do something right. He had a town hall meeting and laid out exactly how these immigrants are coming into, I'll say, all of these cities. He just happened to be talking about Chicago. I want to play this for the listening audience to hear what he said, and they can hear the whole thing. At another time, they can go right on because it's on social media. But I'm going to play about four minutes worth of what he said, Richard. And then I'm going to play what this man said when the mic went around in the audience. 
let, let me play this for the listening audience because I, I think it's it's a uh, it, it's a bears listening to because this is something that black politicians can do. Some of them are scared. Some of them don't want to lose, just like uh, Professor Jumay was saying, they're standing. And, and uh, Professor Giles Cobb said in that clip. And others don't seem to care one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But what they can do, even if they get in these offices and can't do anything, supposedly, they can be a town crier. Nothing, nothing stopping your mouth from exposing these people. Now, let me play. I'm going to play it now, what he said at this town hall meeting. Listen to what he gave an explanation on how these immigrants are coming into these cities, Richard, and the list time for awakening audience. I'll just go through this very uh, quickly. Um, the challenges that we have. Hold on. Easy, easy, easy. So, so here we go. So here we go. What's happening in Chicago right now in the migrant crisis? We're looking at warehouses being used, police stations, schools, libraries, all of these different places. I want to give you a little bit of a background on how do we get to this point and where the federal government is and what's happening in Chicago. So this will be a deep dive. I'm not a flyby, and I can sit here and talk with you all night long. So this is what you got me here for, so I'm available. I'm not running. Okay. Where are the migrants coming from in this wave? The migrants in large part are coming from Venezuela. What's happened in Venezuela? The United States, after President Hugo Chavez came to power almost 15 years ago, he has since uh, has died. Um, he was a socialist and was doing a lot of economic reforms. There was a backlash against his government by the United States. So we started uh, doing a embargo, blocking his oil sales. Then from there, we started the sanctions under the Trump administration. So what's happened in the last 15 years in Venezuela is they've had the equivalent of three great depressions. So this is one of the wealthiest countries on earth if they could sell their oil. But they've had the equivalent of three great depressions. So now over 7 million people have had to leave their country. Many of the people that you're seeing in these shelters and police stations had a house, had an apartment, had a place to stay. But because we've taken them out of the foreign exchange process, the United States government, you cannot use a U.S. credit card in Venezuela. They cannot sell their oil to the United States. They have suffered three great depressions. And because we're the only country in the region and in the world that has a problem with Venezuela, they want to leave. And in turn, the bordering countries end up welcoming them and transporting them to the next city, to the next city, all the way to the Mexican border. So from Caracas, Venezuela, to Chicago, Illinois, is 2,499 miles. You can walk to Caracas, Venezuela. You can drive to Caracas, Venezuela. You can bicycle to Caracas, Venezuela. You don't need to fly. You don't need to take a boat. It's one contiguous landmass is what I want people to understand. And then we're going to go into a deeper dive on how did we get to this current challenge. 
The migrant crisis timeline starts when Hugo Chavez is elected. There's uh, repercussions. The United States wasn't happy. Um, Mr. Chavez has since uh, deceased. And then uh, Maduro came in there, and the United States got even more uh, selective in its prosecution and sanctions against them. Then he had a failed coup attempt in 2018. Then the United States puts in sanctions on the oil. They also own the Citco Oil Company. The Venezuelan oil company has hyperinflation. We're talking about the 4 and 5% that we have on eggs and milk. They started having 75 and 100 and 200% inflation. So people could no longer eat there. And now the imports resume, eventually increasing to 153,000 barrels of crude oil a day. They had been totally shut down. Why do we have to deal with this? Because there are over 400,000 people from Colombia and up the Pan American Highway that are trying to get here. So this is only the beginning of the wave. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. In Venezuela, highly dependent on fossil fuel, the sanctions have uh, contributed to their economic hardship, and their inflation rate has been hovering at around 300%. That is why people have had to leave the country to come here. Now, Richard, you hear what he said? Yep. In just yep. that little brief period of time, see, these old chump-ass elected officials we got here, like this Dwight Evans and others, they don't have no town hall meetings and let the people know exactly what's going on. These people, and I'm quite sure they ain't did it in New York with that stupid-ass Meeks or Hakeem Jeffries. They ain't do it up there in that city. They don't have mm-hmm. no town hall meetings letting their community know exactly what has happened. Now, I give Jackson credit. He let the people know exactly where the immigrants are coming from and why they're coming. See, some of these blacks are so silly. Sometimes when they talk about, and that's in the minority, when they talk about these issues, eh, look at the people, they want to come here because it's so good. Who want to leave the country of their origin to come to another strange country? Right. They're coming here because the economy has been totally destroyed by this government. You heard Cynthia McKinney last week, the book that she wrote, How America Creates Shithole Countries. Mm-hmm. You destroy somebody's economy because you don't like their government. You went in there and tried to execute. Now, it's, it's questions of whether, you know, in my mind, how uh, 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 um, Chavez left here. Right. But it's, right. it's clear that they went in there and tried to, to uh, assassinate that one leader. They did it on two, three times coup attempts. Right. Right. And then poison the water, put oil in the water. You remember when all that junk was going on? The power went out. All this other crazy stuff that was going on to eliminate that guy from power. All because you don't like people. I mean, mean, they have no compunction now to do it like like it's live. Right in front of your face. Exactly. Now, you went in there and tried to destabilize that man's government. Jackson talked about the hyperinflation there. He said, we complained that eggs went up a dollar. But he said, over there, 75. I mean, it's crazy. You done destroyed somebody's economy. You expect them to stay there? Certainly they're going to leave. So the United States makes sure they can come in here and dump them right in your neighborhood. And then the federal government gives money to states like Texas is supposed to supposed to create so they won't go to Chicago, New York, or or Philadelphia. They give them money. Texas said, well, look, Texas and Florida, look, 
I, I'll keep the money, and I'm going to tell them, y'all go on up there. I mean, it, 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 but, but wait a minute. When some of our people talk about these issues, they try to dump on the immigrants themselves. Oh, right. they don't like me. They don't like this. They, you know, who who created the situation? That's who need to be the real enemy. And, and that's what Dr. Jamey was saying. We're we're pointing at each other right. instead, of, instead of the pills. But I give him credit, Richard. At least he yeah. tried to explain how these people are getting here. What I don't like in some of his explanations, when he kept saying, we, we did this, we put it in a bar. Ain't no we. I ain't got nothing to do with that. Ain't no we. And the few black people that want to put their face on this face of white power that oppressed those other countries, maybe they were involved. But the rank and file blacks, they have nothing to do with that. I mean, you destroy somebody's economy and don't expect it. And you did the same thing in Cuba. You did the same thing in Zimbabwe. It's plenty of these countries that have their and own. Haiti. Fo- I mean, Haiti. I mean, look at Haiti. Yeah. You destroy these people's economies where they can't do trade, international trade. And then when, they, when the country's off the hook, you turn around and the people trying to get here at any means necessary, getting in rickety boats and all that other stuff. You got to get in a boat to get here from Haiti. But just like mm-hmm. he said, you can walk. If you, if you want to walk to over 2,000 miles, it's landlocked. Mm-hmm. They don't need a boat or a plane to get from Venezuela to here. But I'm glad he had a town hall meeting to at least give the people an idea of what they're dealing with. Now, they, 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 these people being dumped all in the black community is another story in itself mm-hmm. that they need to answer for because they don't have to do this. They might lose their mayorship or their Congress seat or whatever, and maybe that's that's what they, they, they treasure. But they don't have to do this. They don't have to be a party to this foolishness. Now, he, when the mic went around to the people at the town hall meeting, Richard, this is what this one brother said. And, and when they was trying to take the mic from him, <laughs> you, just listen to him and listen to what he's saying. Because this is the sentiment of black people. Not black people want to accept this foolishness. Not black people don't want to fight. Not black people are stupid. No, it's just we're unorganized. Listen to what this brother said, because he has the sentiment of what black people are feeling. Let me play this here. Anyway, with the sister said, I don't give a damn about no Joe Biden. So if that lady want to pass out something about that, that's her free will. Y'all can't be forcing democracy on people. She got the right, just like you got the right to say vote for Joe Biden. I got the right as somebody who represents formerly incarcerated person to say Joe Biden and Clinton 94 crime bill created that. And we haven't recovered from that. The only asylum seekers that's perpetually discriminated against in this country by everybody is formerly incarcerated people. They have 18,000 homeless ex-cons, yet they're around here talking about public safety. You don't even know what these men are. Then you let more ex-convicts in here in the name of migrants. But they want to tell you... That is the low, this on the state, it's on, it's on, uh, the, the, them, I mean, the Republicans. All politics are local. Yeah. Every, in this state, don't let them fool you. 
from the top, from, from the lieutenant governor to Tony Brackwinkle to the mayor to the police chief to the state's attorney to, to, to the aldermen, to the congressperson, to the state reps, all are black. You got 150 elected black positions and our communities look the way they look. And if I say something, if I say something, if it's not with my brother, he just got there. They want to legislate for us without ever bringing us at the table. I did 21 years in the prison. What they going to tell me about what we need? They ain't never spent one day in the cell. But they legislate for your nephew, cousin, and son. The furthermore, ain't no kids in here. Ain't no teenagers in here. Over 150 murdered young men from ages 16 to 24, and ain't no kids in here. That's the problem. You old people, y'all keep voting the same way, hook, line, and sinker, without ever holding them account. And the very babies go kill y'all ass. These kids are these little wolves. Hey, ain't nothing else nobody saying no more important than this. Hey, hey, wrap your ass. Ain't nothing nobody saying more important than this. I'm tired of y'all playing games with these babies. These babies gonna start driving y'all, but they already doing it. They gonna kill you. I think y'all getting carjacked now. 60% unemployment rate for 18 to 24, and you got money for migrants. Hey, 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 y'all, I'm telling y'all, stop letting these people rhyme fast. It's a game being played, bro. Ain't no way. And how we got guns, how we got extended clips, 100-round drums, Glock 6, cocaine, heroin, and the weed, 99% of all dispensaries are owned by white men. Y'all got to be out y'all damn mind. We should be marching in Washington. We should be crushing them. They shouldn't even be allowed in our neighborhood. That's what's been to happen. Richard. Richard. Wait a minute, Richard. See, that's the sentiment of the majority of black people. Not black people are stupid. Not black people don't care nothing about nothing. That's bullshit. That's the majority of sentiment of the average black person. You heard the, the, the room was almost an uproar cheering. That's the majority sentiment. He just happened to speak for them. By speaking out, he spoke for them. He spoke their language. I'm going to play it again. Because he said some important things in that little statement that he made. And when they was trying to take the mic out of his hand, when they say, hey, wrap it up. You heard him say, you wrap your ass. <laughs> you heard it, Richard? Yeah. Hold it. I'm going to play it again. It's, it's worthy of being played again as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to play that again. Anyway, with the sister say, I don't give a damn about no Joe Biden. So if that lady want to pass out something about that, that's her free will. Y'all can't be forcing democracy on people. She got the right, just like you got the right to say vote for Joe Biden. I got the right as somebody who represents formerly incarcerated person to say Joe Biden and Clinton 94 crime bill created that. And we haven't recovered from that. The only asylum seekers that's perpetually discriminated against in this country by everybody is formerly incarcerated people. They have 18,000 homeless ex-cons, yet they're around here talking about public safety. You don't even know what these men are. Then you let more ex-convicts in here in the name of migrants. But they want to tell you 
that is the law. This on the state, it's on it's on uh, the, the them. I mean, the Republicans. All politics is local. Yeah. Every in this state, don't let them fool you. From the top, from from the lieutenant governor to Tony Pragwinkle to the mayor to the police chief to the state's attorney. To, to to the aldermen, to the congressperson, to the state reps, all are black. You got 150 elected black positions, and our communities look the way they look. And if I say something, if I say something, if it's not with my brother, he just got there. They want to legislate for us without ever bringing us at the table. I did 21 years in the prison. What they going to tell me about what we need? They ain't never spent one day in the cell. But they legislate for your nephew, cousin, and son. The furthermore, ain't no kids in here. Ain't no teenagers in here. Over 150 murdered young men from ages 16 to 24. And ain't no kids in here. That's the problem. You old people, y'all keep voting the same way, hook, line, and sinker, without ever holding them account. And the very babies go kill y'all ass. These kids are these little wolves. Hey, ain't nothing else nobody saying no more important than this. Hey, hey, wrap your ass. Ain't nothing nobody saying more important than this. I'm tired of y'all playing games with these babies. These babies gonna start driving y'all, but they already doing it. They gonna kill you. I think y'all get carjacked now. 60% unemployment rate for 18 to 24, and you got money for migrants. Hey, 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 y'all, I'm telling y'all, stop letting these people rhyme fast. It's a game being played, bro. Ain't no way. And how we got guns, how we got extended clips, 100-round drums, Glock 6, cocaine, heroin, and the weed, 99% of all dispensaries are owned by white men. Y'all got to be out y'all damn mind. We should be marching in Washington. We should be crushing them. They shouldn't even be allowed in our neighborhood. That's what's finna happen. Bridget, you heard, you, listen, you heard him say, when he said you're talking about public safety, you heard it, that, 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 right. that right. mantra right. going right. around, Rich. Mm-hmm. He said 60% unemployment. And, it, mm-hmm. and you mentioned about, that's what the problem is in these communities. But they're going right. to criminalize all these, like they just passed that bill here at City Council in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. They're about wearing the mask. Right. Mm-hmm. They ain't trying to get these young men no jobs or create situations where they can get trained for jobs. The only thing they want them to do is commit some crime so they can go to jail. And then they can make money off of them there. Slavery. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. It's the problem in Philadelphia. It's evidently the problem in Chicago. It's the problem in New York. He said 60% unemployed. You heard him, Richard. Yeah. 18 to 24. The man is fed up. They trying to grab the mic. Oh, wrap it up, wrap it up. You heard what he said. <laughs> he said a little bit more important what I'm saying. Yeah. These, our people are fed up with this foolishness. He said you keep voting for these people. He said Biden and Clinton, this crime bill, this is what, the, he said, this is what you see now. Look at the communities. And notice what he said, Richard, the lieutenant governor, the mayor, the police chief, representatives. I thought he was talking about Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Didn't you? 150 of them. I, but I thought he was talking about Philadelphia. All them mm-hmm. positions he's talking about is the same thing in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. 
That's the, that's the sentiment of blacks around this country. Not blacks don't want to do nothing. Blacks is lazy. They stupid. They ain't going they ain't going to do this that. That's the sentiment of the average black person in this country. The only thing missing is being organized. Mm. Let's go to New York City. New York. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Good evening to you, Brother uh, Elliot and Brother Richard. Uh, this is Brother Maurice from New York. How are you, sir? Um, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine and uh, kind of a little riled up, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to take it slow. i got a couple of things to say. I want to get some stuff out. It's on my chest. One, in that whole situation we're talking about that's going on um, in in the Middle East, a lot of people they don't do their homework, didn't go back and study what happened in the Middle East and how all this stuff got set up or whatever. So again, we, we look at another person, Ralph Bunch, a black face on white power and stuff. They went over there and whole, set up this whole thing between the Jews and the Palestinians over there. And black people have been in the middle of this thing from day one. No one ever talks about that. Ralph Bunch. In 1947, between 47 and 49, all up in there, setting up this whole thing. And in his memoir, said that the United States, as he represented not the United States, but the U.N., said that they favored, they were, the, the U.S. favored the Jewish nation state and, and worked against the Arabs in his own memoir. That's number one. <laughs> number two, when, when, um, you mentioned last week you were talking about this whole thing dealing with the district court talking about um, the individuals that cannot bring suit um, dealing with these voting rights issues. And again, here we go with the argument that, uh, of course, the Supreme Court, we're going to wait and see if they'll even take the case because what they've been doing lately is denying cases and sending it back to the district courts. And then the district courts, whatever, will make the decision, and, they'll, and they will never even review it. So this is a new strategy. <laughs> Most people don't even think about it, but we have to think uh, about how they allow stuff to be brought by individuals to, to change voting rights in the United States. And then now all of a sudden when individuals try to correct it, they stop it. We forget about the whole business dealing with um, gerrymandering and it was a case that was dealing with our favorite person, Edward Blum, Bush versus Vera. This is where they started talking about you can't create districts based off of race. And he won when it went to the Supreme Court. You, if you don't remember Edward Blum, if you, you forgot about the North Carolina cases and the Harvard case, you forgot about uh, Fisher versus the University of Texas, you, you forgot about the, the, the push dealing with Shelby County and the, and the, and the pre-clearance, there you go. And, and Edward Blum is a neoconservative Jew, neoconservative Jew. So when you get somebody like Michael Rappaport running around here talking about the Jews are going to remember and stuff, the people that didn't speak up for them in this whole situation, let, let's talk about the, the number of Jews that spoke out against Edward Blum and the destruction of voting rights and all types of civil rights in America. Not a word. Okay, that's number two. I'm sorry, y'all. I got to get this off my chest. Number three, we're talking about black people was all happy and stood up and was clapping and stuff when we looked at that riverboat situation. 
Do we know that the Riverboat captain, the co-captain down there, is still being charged, Damian Pickett? They still being bringing charges against him. And so everybody's asking the question, what does he do? Well, guess what? This is, this is the part that's absolutely 100% hilarious. Your black, the black mayor of Montgomery down there and the chief, <laughs> the chief of police said, and the black mayor is Stephen Reed, if you didn't know. The chief of police is Daryl Albert said the police investigation considers the co-captain to be a victim. Yet no one talked, I guess no one didn't talk to the district attorney down there, did they? Because he's still being charged. And it's a front because does anybody even know what tomorrow is? Tomorrow is the 68th anniversary of the Montgomery bus boycott, <laughs> which is the, and it, that, that makes 68. But guess what? That, that's built up on top of something else. Because three, three years before that was the Baton Rouge bus boycott, which the Montgomery was based off of. Oh, we're not finished yet. Hold on, y'all. Hold on a second. We got to go 156 years before that when we dealt with the New Orleans uh, streetcar protests that were going on, which led to the desegregation of the streetcars not only in that year, 1867. It led to the desegregation of streetcars not only in that city, but in other cities, including Philadelphia. Okay? But let's not even, let's stop there because we got to go 13 more years. 1854, in my own state of New York, Elizabeth Jennings, when she said, I'm not getting off of this thing, and they physically took her and threw her off. When people keep talking about this idea of dignity, black people have been fighting for dignity since day one. It's generational. I've showed you through the history of your existence in this country, black people have been fighting. So don't give me this crap asking, uh, who, who was that person that asked that brother that question? I felt like reaching through the phone and snatching him. You always have to have individuals that have the vision and the fortitude to stand up. Then people will follow. Not everybody's going to get the vision. They're not going to understand it. Let me, and sometimes we have to do some things we have to do with scared. Ask Meredith. Ask Jade Meredith when he was walking down the road and stuff by himself. He did it scared so that they would desegregate the university. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of these individual people. You didn't, you didn't create your show without resistance. I didn't create my show without resistance either. I didn't wait for all black people to get the vision. I said, damn it, there's a need. I'm going to step out and do something about it. We, and that's been for 25 years. We've been trying to get you to think critically about what in the hell is going on in your own community. What that brother said for Chicago is the same thing for New York. <laughs> we got we got a mayor and a city council president that is black. Both the people that run the Senate and the state legislature in the state of New York are black. The lieutenant governor is black. The attorney general is black. You ain't even heard a whisper about reparations in this state. 
And yes, the, the numbers for unemployment that they're talking about is the same in this state. I don't blame anybody for that. But just remember one thing, though. And Tumay said the engine of any movement is young people. You see what's going on in the continent. That's why the United States is afraid yes. because the engine is reverent. It's reverent and stuff, and they're afraid of who's going to be one that, the one that's going to be driving. Yep. <laughs> brother Maurice, thanks for your contribution, man. Thank you, my brothers. Truth and peace. Peace. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Richard, well, hold it. Let me go to let, let, let's go to Philadelphia. Yes, hello. Yes. Yeah, uh, brother Elliot, brother brother Richard, brother James uh, from Philadelphia. I know y'all get ready to go off there. I just want to bring up something real real quick. Uh, and you know, when I listened to the brother before me, brother Maurice before me, and he happened to bring up uh, uh, Michael Rappaport, the actor. Mm-hmm. I want to bring up something like, real, like really, 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 really quick uh, that's been going on with this whole uh, Hamas, uh, with this whole war in Israel Hamas. Uh, he brought up Michael Rappaport, uh, the actor, and I'm going to bring up another thing. I don't know if y'all know about this. There's an actress. Her name is uh, uh, Margolis. I think her name is Julian Margolis, and uh, she's a actor, actress, Jewish actress, and she recently on a podcast said that uh, black, the black community has been brainwashed uh, to hate uh, Jewish people. And then when she got some pushback, then she tried to walk it back. Uh, he, Michael Rapport, her, um, and then the, uh, the comedian Amy Schumer a few weeks ago making a comment about Dr. King. There's this thing going on uh, where black people are being uh, attacked by prominent Jewish people because they're upset and angry because they don't they believe that black people uh, that we should be spe- we should be standing up and speaking up on behalf uh, of Israel and uh, my issue is that the pushback that they're getting is from us common black folk you don't see black celebrities pushing back against these people uh, not that I know of uh, I haven't heard one prominent black celebrity uh, actor uh, push back against uh, Rappaport, uh, Margolis, uh, Amy Schumer, people like that. Black black uh, celebrities are, are quiet. Uh, uh, they're, they're quiet on the, uh, you know, about these attacks on black people from, you know, from prominent, you know, Jewish celebrities. Um, you know, they're not, they're not speaking, at least not, not that I've seen or heard anyway. Uh, but this thing of trying, there's this push to get black people to to uh, condone the behavior and uh, of of what what Israel is doing uh, to the Palestinians. And and the one thing, and they always bring up, you know, well, what about well, we well we were allies of black people. Well, we we were allies of black. Well, here's the thing that very few people bring up. Well, not very few people. I you. Uh, somebody should remind Michael Rappaport, uh, Julian Margulies, uh, and Amy Schumer, and some of these other uh, Jewish celebrities. Uh, Israel would not exist if it wasn't for black men. You know, if it wasn't for Ralph Bunch and Walter Wright, y'all, y'all wouldn't even have Israel. Nobody ever brings that up to them. You know, since y'all always, they always want to bring up about how they were 
how they were allies of black folk. First of all, y'all weren't the only non-black allies uh, of black people during the civil rights movement. But that's the first thing out of their mouth. Well, what about us being allies? Well, what about what about Israel? Israel wouldn't exist if it wasn't for uh, if it wasn't for Walter White. You know, somebody ought to bring that up to them. But this, but these these attacks on black people, you know, from prominent Jewish celebrities because they're upset uh, that we're not speaking up on their behalf. Uh, we need uh, black black celebrities uh, need to push back against these uh, against these people. You know, and again, the only pushback that they're getting is from us. You know, the, you know, the everyday black man and woman pushing back but black celebrities need to be speaking up against these people but uh that's 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 just what i wanted wanted to say uh about, about that you know yeah you know I, I heard that video uh and i i was trying to uh uh get it where i could play it for the listener audience uh when he was uh i guess he was giving himself a giving black people a warning and especially the black celebrities when he was saying, you didn't, you ain't stand up. We're going to remember that when you come wanting some money, you, you heard, I mean, I'm quite sure you already right, heard yeah. it. Right, right. Basically but like you said, black, black oh, certainly it was a threat, but I didn't, I didn't right. hear any black celebrities saying anything in reference to what he said. Like, wait a minute. Right. What, me, are, what me, is me, this? Right. Me neither. And that's what I'm saying. Black celebrities are, are quiet about this. No, no, no. And then he talks about all the black, Michael Rappaport talk about all of his black friends that he has. You know, he's got all these black, black friends, uh, you know. Maybe they don't see I nothing don't wrong with what he said. Evidently, they don't. No, they, they don't. Right. I know, I know a few years ago, him and Spike Lee got into something. They were going back and forth uh, a few years ago. Um, but, but black celebrities are quiet about these you know, these uh, attacks on black people from these, you know, Jewish uh, celebrities. And, again, it just goes to show that, you know, the overwhelming majority of black celebrities, you know, all, all, they, all they worried about is getting their paychecks. That's all, that's all most of them are worried about. Most of them don't stand up for anything, for the most part. But, you know, these people ought to be reminded about there would be no Israel if it wasn't for Walter White and Ralph Bunch. And when and I say that, that's not to brag about it. There should be no Israel anyway. But Walter White, they, they never bring that up. You know, they never they never bring up they always want to bring up the how they were allied with us. Why don't y'all bring up the fact that, you know, uh in those they in those in the camps when when the, when the soldiers went into when concentration camp, there were many black soldiers who went into there. And you bring that up, they get angry about that. But uh, that's you know that's why I wanted to bring up. But the, but Rappaport and uh, Margolis, they're just uh, you know uh, a few of of, of these uh, these attacks on, on on black people, you know from from you know from these uh, Jewish uh, celebrities. Thanks for your contribution, brother. Uh, thank you, Brother Richard. Brother Thank you. Take care. Let's go to Philadelphia again. Yeah, good, e- good evening, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. How y'all doing tonight? Yes, sir. I'm doing fine. All praise be to our lives. You know, following Brother James and Brother Maurice, they gave they gave the, the time for waking up or this uh, history lesson about the Ralph Bunch thing because that's, that's hardly ever mentioned, like Brother Maurice said and, and Brother James, because 
not only Ralph, like you said, Ralph Bunch and Brother James mentioned Walter White, that's true. And you notice, even today, those white Zionists over there, they, when they talk about, they always talk about Theodore Hepp, so they get his double credit more than they give Walter White and uh, Ralph Bunch. And I'm like, Brother James, nothing to be brag of, because Israel shouldn't even be in existence right now, because you can't find the state of Israel on no map before 1947, because it's a man-made country, you know what I mean? And stuff. But it just shows you, even when you do something for them, for them old bigots over there, they don't have no respect for black people. They pretty much built Ralph Bunch and walked away out of history, if you, if you listen to these people and stuff. You know, like Brother James said, when you talk about the blacks that stormed those camps and rescued those white Jews out of those places, they get upset with you. They don't want to give black people no kind of credit, no kind of respect. You know, these people are just demonic and stuff, man. You know, and that's why I say, you know, I see... Man, I don't know where to be getting at it. Like you mentioned Kamala Harris earlier, Brother Elliot. She lived in Dubai. And you know when she was mentioning stuff about they're not going to tolerate, you know, Israel displacing the Palestinians in Gaza. See, to show you how the demonic these white Jews are over there in Israel, those, especially the, the IDF and, and not Yahoo's criminal thug against the government, that if, they, if Israel is such a decent people, Ellen, listen to me carefully, Brother Ellen Richard, in the top, like, we can listen to this. If they're such a decent people, you know, had Kamala Harris Mark over the Bible. You, and of you course, just had, people just... I'm sorry. Go no, go ahead. Ellen. I'm sorry. Go okay. ahead. And, 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 and you just had Lloyd Austin, the, the, the Secretary of or whatever he is, the Secretary of Defense, you just had him speaking just the other day. They all, him, and Matthew, him and Harris spoke almost simultaneously, and both of them verbatim said it in a slightly different way, Ellen and Richard, but kind of the same thing. You had Harris saying that, that, that Israel is not doing themselves any favor by continuing with this bombardment and distinctly killing uh, innocent Palestinians. And even like said, when that announcement about telling them to leave, it's such a densely populated area. Where the hell are they going to go? That's like, that's like you dropping a bomb on my kitchen. And you telling me, well, Brother Joe, you should have ran, you should have ran to the living room. Well, we still get hit, you know what I mean, Elliot? Because I mean, it's so dusty, probably where the hell I'm gonna go, you know what I mean? So it's it's just foolhardy. But, but and the same with, uh, with with the handkerchief here, Lloyd Austin. He tell him, well, I've been I've been been stressing to to, to the Israeli government and to the leaders. I guess talking to like Netanyahu and Benny Gantz and and, and all these other people there from Netanyahu's cabinet. I've been stressing them the importance of not you know being careful with the, with these uh, uh, air strikes because you're gonna you know you're gonna you know you you, you know you, you're killing innocent people and you're gonna inflame you know the the, the you're gonna radicalize the rest of the Palestinian youth. So I'm saying to myself, if your allies such a decent people and they such a good old Jews, why the hell you and Kamala Harris, Lloyd Austin, why y'all gotta keep on telling Israel to be careful? If they so nice people, you should they shouldn't be willing to be killing these people anyway. But it just goes to show you that you deal with a demonic enemy over there. These people are just evil and just. I don't even know what words to describe these people, these different ones that call themselves Jews over in Israel, the white Zionists over there. they just a bunch of murdering, bigot scum is what they are. The fact that you got these two black people, like you say, black, like Maurice say, black face on white power, that you got to keep on reminding, even Biden with his little crippled handkerchief head, uh, whatever you want to call him, the, uh, seeing our stuff, even he's saying, oh, the, the, the settlers, you know, they need to stop going over to the guys and killing settlers, these some of the, I mean, killing uh, Palestinian people over there, and these white Jewish settlers over there. So, so again, so you got the President of the United States, the VP, and the Secretary of Defense. They got to keep on 
telling Israel to be careful on how they how they do, conducting this thing over there because they know how murderous they are. Because again, they they know who they're dealing with. Because Biden knows his brethren, so he knows who he's dealing with. You know, I mean, this stuff is so deep, man. It's just I tell you, man, it's just it's deep, man. And you know, I'm glad, brother, that you played the clip by Jesse Jackson's son. Because, like you said, Elliot, at a time, and people that's listening throughout the country, and I dare say some around the world, that is an example of how a black elected official, whether he's on the city, state, or federal level, and, and, and Jackson's son is, is, I think, is a congressman. See, that's how you, you, you treat your people, have town meetings and stuff. Let your people know what's going on. Even, like you said, Brother Elliot, even if you're not in a position to, 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 to change something, at least be the town crier. And, you, and, 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 and these Negroes here in Philadelphia, they don't do that. You don't see Dwight Evans and them doing it. You didn't see Shaka Bataille doing it when he was a congressman. Yeah, and up in New York, you know how King Jeffries and that clown mix is not going to do it. They, they brought people a total disservice. Our people should know what's going on. And, and, and like you said, I, I, it, it killed me. I listen to white radio sometime. I heard them doubles talk about, oh, people breaking their neck to come to the United States because it's the greatest country in the world. But like you said, brother, let's use Captain History to be your guide. Use common sense. And I know what I'm speaking, because I've talked to people from Palestine. I've talked to people from Africa. And they told me, they said, I'm, I'm over here because, because the United States, they have more on my country, and I've come over here to try to you know, get, get on my economic footing so I can go back to my native country and build it back up because United States policies. Like I said, ain't nobody, nobody if for the most part, want to leave their country of their birth and want to come to a foreign land they don't know the hell nothing about unless they forced to because of circumstances. And that's this phony narrative I put up by white people. Oh, everybody breaking their neck to get over here. I guess some of them are breaking their neck to go to y'all, y'all, y'all devils and destroy the, the economic uh, thing in their country, like Venezuela, for example. Like you say, like, 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 like the brothers say, you look at, like Jesse Jackson's son said, Venezuela, all rich countries, should, everybody should be wealthy over there because of the sanctions, because, because, they, because they couldn't control Chavez, because he wouldn't be a puppet for them, because he wouldn't be a handkerchief here. And same with Maduro, his successor. Because be people don't want to play ball, you punish them. Now, Maduro was one of them people like, like Chavez, be a handkerchief head, just brutalizes people, don't want to share the wealth of the country. Oh, he'd be on the United States, uh, he'd be the top man right now because he want to spread the wealth among his people. They, they, that, that's the United States get angry, and that's where the pushback comes. That's, so we're going to punish them. We're going to put sanctions against them. We're not going to let them uh, sell oil to us. We're not going to do this. We, I mean, these people are, man, I'm telling you, you see the same thing happened with Libra Gaddafi. When Gaddafi said, we're not going to deal with the dollar, but I'm going to trade a gold currency and, and over here, we're going to pay for our stuff with gold, with, with gold-backed currency, whatever. He had to go. Then all of a sudden, he gets murdered by, by, by Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and that ilk and stuff like that. I mean, these people, every time people of color from an oppressed people around the world try to uplift their people, uh, Brother Elliot, and spread that wealth and that, and that self-determination throughout the world for people of color. The United States is always on the wrong side. I mean, you can just look at these devils. Uh, this, this, this is not no, 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 no opinion. This is fact. Just look at the history. You go back to Iran, which is Persia. Mohammed Mossadegh, who was a newly uh, democratically elected leader. I was talking about they like fair elections. Well, he's democratically elected. Go oh, Go ahead. Give me two minutes. What's, Okay, I'll be right up, I'll wrap it up. Uh, he, he gets elected, the, the, the leader of Iran, Persia, and because the United States didn't like him and he didn't want to play ball, they, they overthrow him and they put in the start of the Shah of Iran. And when you had Professor Jameon, same thing with the, uh, with the Congo, Patrice Lumumba, 
because he wanted to lift the people and, and, and free the Congo from, from British and the United States uh, colonialism. They kill him, and they install that murderous, pup, bigot puppet, uh, Mobuto. I mean, you see, their, their hands is always on the wrong side of history, time and time and time again, Brother Ellen Richard. The United States is on the wrong side of history, and it don't change me to the playbook's the same. Then you look at the, and, and that last point, that brother that, you, that spoke from, from Chicago, I'm glad that brother spoke the way he spoke, because like you said, like the brother said, you keep voting. And I'm, how many times have I told you and Richard, as long as we as people keep voting, but you're starting to change now. There's more and more of our people, like you said, are getting tired of it. They're going to stop voting for these Negroes now. That's why the, the, the pendulum is starting to swing now. It's not the 100%, but it's damn near 70, 70, 80% while people are tired of these Negroes getting in office in, in our communities when you got all these black elected officials in our communities and schools look like that. So that pendulum is definitely starting to swing now. And, and this stuff, like you're going to scare black people. People, or if you don't vote for, for Joe Biden, you're going to get Trump with the statue. What the hell with them? Like that, that last point, like that brother stayed up there in, in, in Michigan from the, the Muslim uh, community. He said, well, we know we're going to catch hell our community if, if, if Trump or the statue is getting there, but we catch the hell ain't the Biden. So you're not going to scare us into voting for these people. If, if, if Trump or the statue is getting there, then damn it, we just have to deal with them devils. And that's the same way we as the black people, just like the Muslim community. If Trump or the statue is getting there, we just deal with these devils. We done dealt with them before. We can deal with them again. Thanks, brother. And I'll close on that note, brother. And put me on mute now just to the rest of the show. Thanks for your contribution. Oh, you're welcome. Hey, Richard. Mm. Nope. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we go, Richard, I, I, uh, you heard the caller, uh, other caller from Philadelphia, talk about this actor that made some statements. Right. And you probably didn't hear it, but I'll play it for the listening audience because when he said... That now, you know, it's it's plenty of black actors out there, and it's black actors that appeared in movies and TV shows with this guy. None of them said anything about what he statements that he made. And you tell me if this is not a threat, Richard. Let, I, let me play this. What this clown said. If I can mm-hmm. find it, hold on here. It is. I think this is it. Yeah, I, I, I think this is it. Silence. A lot of conversations amongst my Jewish friends about the silence, the disappointment, the disappearing acts on some Doug Henning, David Blaine shit just disappeared, boom, in the air. A lot of people have disappeared. I'm telling you right now, we are making a list, we are checking it twice. And we already know who's been naughty or nice. See that pun? You see that pun? I'm talking about the Jewish people, but I'm also talking Christmas carols. We will not forget. We're not suckers. So when you come around asking for this, that, and the third, come around asking for money, investments, and all that stuff, I promise you, I promise you, it's being discussed. We're paying attention to who's being anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic, anti-Israel, or not saying anything at all. I promise you, we see. I'm, I'm, I'm the enigma. A lot of Jewish people seem nice. We seem like we're, we're suckers. Seem like you could kind of convince us. And sh- Trust me. Don't come around. 
six months, eight months, two years. We're remembering. We're paying attention. Yeah, Richard, uh, <laughs> if, if he's not threatening uh, some of these blacks that like to sniff these people's backside for money and contributions and all, I, I don't know what it is. If that's not an open threat, that ain't veiled. That's an open threat. Mm. But yeah. it's also telling of what they do. Uh, exactly. For money, they ask them for business deals, uh, whoever the day is, and and you know, and and uh, but more importantly, whether you know he's an enigma or not, he said him and his friends. So he's connected to those who could give them money, oh, who can give is. them deals, and that's that's the you know. And be bold enough to say that. <laughs> yeah, but where's the boldness from some of his colleagues in the mm-hmm. acting field that, that maybe they don't have no problem with what he said? Yeah. Or they they, they evaluating the comeback or, or what are they going to lose for the comeback compared to what they're what they going to not get because they say nothing. <laughs> they you know. Because they ain't got to worry about the, you know, like we're just discussing it now. But how how many um, black people are discussing about, well, why are we supporting it? If y'all ain't got no backbone, you know, like as soon as something happened, then you go back and apologize, you know. Um, why, are we, why are we so supportive? Richard, before we leave this evening, uh, line up on time for Awakening Media, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, African Perspectives with Brother Oshie. Always interesting topics, conversations, and dialogue on African Perspectives. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Later on in the week, Mississippi on the move, the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi, Brother Patrick Lumumba uh, as host, along with others. That's uh, 7 to 8 on on Thursday on time on Awakening Media. Uh, Saturdays from 7 to 9, the Elders of Sankofa with Dr. Janine James as host. And then on Sundays, time for an awakening. Oh, Fridays, time for an awakening from uh, 8 until. And then we'll jump to Sundays from 7 until time for an awakening. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always. And we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon Or you're watching your children playing after school
Children. To save the children. 